Well, hello everyone, and welcome to Whiskey Wednesdays, a show where hello. where we review and discuss various topics regarding D and D as suggested by you and the. I don't have my whiskey. Fuck. Uh, okay, everybody, uh, mingle. I'll be <laughs> back. This I got never happened. Yeah. <laughs> This has never happened before. I'm an Irishman. I forgot my liquor. What the fuck? I'll be back. <laughs> Entertain people. That escalated um, quickly. Uh, well, at least um, it wasn't the sound this time. Welcome to Wawa. <laughs> Wait, is there sound? Did someone check? <laughs> Did we make sure we have sound? <laughs> yeah, we have sound. Okay, we're good. We're good. We're good. Listen, stream. We are super coordinated all the fucking uh, time. You have no idea. <laughs> Dog, good. Anyway, <laughs> so everyone excited for Christmas? Yeah, I'm gonna have my Christmas this weekend. That's why I'm gonna be gone. Nice. Yep. Gotta travel oh, all the way to the boonies. I'm sure you are thrilled. Oh, those plane tickets cost so much money. Well, it's what you get for living in the boonies. I didn't choose. I was born there. You, you chose to exist. As a baby, you could have chose not to exist. But you defied the will. Look, I tried. There were, a, there were a couple of near-death experiences as a child. I tried, okay? You did try hard enough. <laughs> that dang dog always saved me. Listen here. I'm not joking not about that. Save you. Our, our family dog actually saved me from death multiple times. Fucking dogs! Well, there you go, old yeller. <laughs> it was a yellow lab. <laughs> I mean, there you go. <laughs> Hello, Vile. Hello. I know not hey, to hi. Vile. We're, we're on cord. I don't oh, know uh, either. Who is All right, sound community. off. Who's dead? Ah. Uh, me! <laughs> we're, we're good. We survived. I... I completely forgot I hadn't gotten that yet. I, with like 20 minutes left to go, I decided that Kifhack needed a Santa hack since he runs the place. And uh, I finished that at like right at 6.30 and got it uploaded. And then I realized I don't have my alcohol. But hey, at least the audio works. <laughs> Ew. Uh, so this is Whiskey Wednesdays where I, uh, the show lasts as long as it takes for me to drink at least a glass of whiskey, which I'm trying a brand new bottle of Brooklotti. So... Mm. Oh, that's good. That's strong. Holy fuck, that's strong. <laughs> so, Review um, is strong. And <laughs> the stream, we're done. Uh, so, I am joined tonight by Metal, playing as uh, Kif Hack, the bartender with a little Santa head on, little squid guy. <laughs> We've got uh, Kirsten, our, uh, she also plays Kasumi in our D&D session. She's a little kitsune there. Hello. We got Brick or Zeke as the toaster. Makes sense if you listen All to the podcast. All humans must die. <laughs> Exterminate. <laughs> I'm not a human. I don't count. Pez, our resident kobold, hugging the moss. Hello, I'm sick. Yeah, he he recaught whatever he had before, so he's gonna be super bassy. And then we have Zach, aka Zon, the bunny munch on the carrot. Yes. Before I eat the carrots. <clears throat> so, tonight we will a special be... Guest. <laughs> we also have special guests. Do we? Oh, shit. I didn't see that uh, Violet pop back in. Hello. Uh, so... Yeah, hi. I'm not sure if I'm allowed to talk. You're absolutely yeah, allowed to talk. It. Anytime. 
You are not yeah. allowed to speak in our presence. Be gone. No, yeah, you're yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so I, I don't have a little chat avatar on the stream for for Vile, but maybe maybe one day I'll be able to get a default one ready for everybody. Uh, so for yeah, those of you watching us live, Whiskey Wednesdays will be in podcast form and VOD form the week after we air, which will be next Wednesday. Um, our podcast is on most major platforms, iTunes, Spotify, Samsung Podcast. If you're watching this on Twitch and we're not on a podcast service that you enjoyed, let me know and I'll get that sorted. If you haven't already and you would like to join in our conversations as we do Whiskey Wednesdays, uh, please join the Discord. And even if you don't want to join the conversations, I don't know why the hell are you even in here then. Uh, but you're free to join the Discord yeah. wherever you want. You can lurk, you can join in and play games with us. We've been on a pretty big Valheim kick here recently. Um, so good. But uh, yeah, any and all are welcome. If you, would like, if you like what we do and you would like to donate, please consider our coffee page. All proceeds from the donations go towards making Fools and Flaggons a better experience. It helps keep the podcast alive and well. And yeah, that's pretty much all I spend the money on is podcasts and, oh yeah, Sirenscape too. All the music we use during the sessions. But Gee. enough of all the boring shit. Let's get into the cool shit. Uh, so first, I want to address something from the last session uh, that we had. Uh, Cullen from Heartleaf Games, the people who made this amazing module, pr prim and properly called me out <laughs> for kind of <laughs> poking fun at a uh, particular Homeland feature of the Equins, where it just, to me, since I haven't read the book, it's, it's a big book, there's so much in it, it's so good, but it talks about vampires, and it just so, felt so out of left field, and he's like, <clears throat> well, you know, if you read the vampire part of the Lord, it fucking makes sense, and I was like, ah. Okay, fair point. <laughs> and to be fair, I read it, and it's it's pretty dope. Like, the, the lore that they've got behind the vampires is a really, really unique twist to it. It's not... It's not the vampires that you would expect. It's not like, oh, there's one Dracula, and, you know, blah, blah, blah. It's, it's in-depth, and it's got some great in-depth rules for characters that want to play as offspring for these things. So maybe we'll now cover we that. Ian, huh? And now we get Ian going on YouTube, posting a video titled, We're Sorry. And then... <laughs> <laughs> the I title. am not doing an apology video. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but no, it, it, it's very, very cool. Uh, if anyone listening to this, if, if any of this sounds interesting, please go and check it out. It's called The Delver's Guide to Beast World. It's fucking phenomenal. Um, and I just keep getting more and more excited to read more uh so two things that i do kind of want to cover again like we did the last time to just give you it kind of some really quick faqs about some of the the races in here uh the first one is do beasts have paws or hands and feet and the 5e game system requires hands so we assume that beasts have hands canonically some of the beasts have foot paws and uh digigrade legs some beasts have human legs and feet out of character what goes on in your character shoes is your business um, there's also, I'm trying to think the best way to describe this. There's, there's willful beasts, which are the upright, uh, sentient ones that we're going to be covering. And then there's the, while you're in here, can you help me out? I can't remember the exact terminology for like the regular sheep. I think the, the, uh, hold on. It's quiet minded. Quiet minded. Ah, I just scrolled to that page. 
Thank you. The quiet-minded beasts are the ones that are not sentient. There, there are regular wolves and Animals. cows and things of that nature. So the little snippet, uh, vegetarian beasts, the uplifted beasts are more human-like than animal-like. All beasts are omnivores, and there's no social stigma attached to eating meat. But vegetarians are more common in the beast world than in our own. In particular, one of the races we're going to be starting with, the sheep are the most likely species to adopt a plant-based diet. So it's not going to be like Pokemon where the meat is just this random mystery shit. Like, you know they're killing Pidgeys and Magikarp to get those things. They just don't I say like it. the mystery shit. <laughs> what? <laughs> you can go have the school mystery meat. I'm not going to stop Yay. you. I'm just chucking a block of spam at him. <laughs> <laughs> the whole can. I'm being Real spammed. <laughs> Real quick, I just want to say, I think it's hilarious that we have amazingly one of the people from uh this book in here and we just kind of like he's in the back room somewhere and we're like hey vile what is this thing he's just i, like, I just can see like a little his little uh character whatever we make him like pop it out from behind uh the bar we're like it's this Thank i'll, you, I'll grab and the phone a friend option <laughs> if, if i had enough time i would make one of the wood planks behind here as like a secret trap door and it just swings open hawks <laughs> yeah <laughs> that's funny it's so with all of that being said <laughs> let's get started because we have two four six eight nine more races to go through and if you thought the first eight were crazy we're hopefully we will end on some really really cool ones for this so uh the first one up we've got the ovine they are basically sheep people um again i'm not going to go terribly deep into the lore because uh there's there's just too much and we would be here until well past midnight going over all of it so we're basically going to touch come home uh, <laughs> I just want to say, as these are sheep people, if there's not a bad pun in here, I'm going to be upset. You know what? I'll let you handle that for me. <laughs> uh, come to visit us, I will kill you. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, they are humanoid. Their wisdom score increases by two. They have a 30-foot walking speed. And they also have the March on Hooves feature that we had talked about before, where you have advantage on saving throws you make to avoid suffering exhaustion from a forced march. A force march is essentially, the basic rules are a player character can travel for eight hours at their normal walking speed. Every hour after that that you want to walk, you have to make a constitution save, I believe. And it's a DC plus however many hours you are progressing. So it starts out as a DC 11, then another hour, DC 12, and so on and so on. Uh, this gives you advantage in avoiding that. You've also got uh, the efficient metabolism. Ovines can eat a wide variety of foods that are unpalatable to other species. You can joyfully sustain yourself indefinitely on any green vegetation. Now, what I'm curious about this is it says unpalatable to other species. Is that Are we kind of leaning into the goat realm where, you know, the stereotypical, like, ah, oh, just give it a can of beans and it'll just go to town. <laughs> <laughs> but it does seem like it does... Uh, clarify with you can survive on pretty much any green vegetation which you know some some animals may not be able to survive off of pine needles but theoretically i guess ovines could you're um the, you're the dandelion of the 
the dandelion animal world <laughs> just survive on anything just cut to an ovine chewing on some like poison ivy it's like is that safe it's like that eh, tastes fine oh no give us a kiss <laughs> <laughs> oh god why uh, so this one, I'm actually kind of sad that uh, Kayla's not in here because she, she, I think, would absolutely love this class. For this one alone, uh, this feature is called Mind for Beasts. You can comprehend and verbally communicate with all beasts. Their knowledge and awareness is limited by their intelligence, but at a minimum, animals can give information about what they've seen within the past 24 hours. You might also be able to persuade a beast to perform a small favor for you at the GM's discretion. Additionally, you can cast the Animal Messenger spell as a second level spell once with this trait and regain the ability to do so when you finish Long Rest. Wisdom is your spellcasting ability for this. So That's pretty fucking useful. Yeah, well, it is until you realize that they can talk to every creature all the time without casting a spell, which means that that kind of explains why they're vegetarians. Mm-hmm. I mean, to yeah. be fair, you said that that's the reason why it would interest Kayla, not the fact that it's a fluffy sheep. Well, I'm getting to the other thing that she would really enjoy, especially playing with you, Zach. Oh, boy. Uh, so, <laughs> actually, I wanted to share, I wanted to get this meme. Let me get this real quick before um, I talk about it, just for general reference. Uh, and I'll even show it on stream when I get to it. But uh, the next feature is really fucking cool. But also, it kind of terrifies me as a DM because now I have to start thinking about shit like this. So it's called Shepherd Step. The steep hills of the world have been your playground since you took your first steps. On anything other than a sheer vertical surface, you have a climbing speed of 15 feet and your hands remain free while you do so. Jesus. So I'm going to share... uh, this it's oh over God, it's, it's way too big. Hold on. Sorry, let me I think I know what you're about to link. Oh, this one. Yeah, <laughs> hey, hey, hold on. I let see me, it on hey. the stream being yeah, cropped. Me, I'm, I'm, I'm fixing it on the night. Bear with me. Technical difficulties. Eh, well, I mean the last time I used it for the uh for the stream, it was for a full page, so uh but yeah. It's like a JoJo goat reference where he's going after the burglar frog. He's like, huh, this wall is 92 degrees. And he just starts walking up it with his hands in his pockets. So while it is a very, very cool trait, it terrifies me as a DM because now I have to start thinking like, this motherfucker's going to ask me if the wall's vertical, like every single room that he goes into. And I'm going to have to either make a dice roll or just start making notes. Like, oh yeah, when you were walking in here, you realized that the grade was like five degrees... uh, to the southeast, so you can definitely walk on that wall. It eventually gets to a point where you're just like, no, 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 it is straight, 90 degree, it is straight up vertical, it is slanted <laughs> inward, you cannot climb this. <laughs> you were trying to walk on a window, stop it. <laughs> but the it, villain it, up on a cliff is like, hi, you can't get me now, just start sprinting up the cliff. <laughs> <laughs> that gumball yeah. meme where he's just running with malicious intent. Well, now, the, the thing here is that with climbing speed, I don't believe that you can... Well, no, actually, you can use the dash action for movement, so you could technically run up a wall, I guess? Oh, that hurts now, my just brain. Imagine, just no, imagine no, if it's a freaking rogue. <laughs> oh, or a that, monk. That's just bonus action oh, dash. <laughs> that's actually, well... 
Actually, I think monks get to, at certain levels, get to travel up sheer surfaces anyway. Well, they just can't stay. Actually, ooh, that creates no, an interesting they, point. They can... Actually, that would be really dope. They use their bonus action. I, I know the one you're talking about. They can move their movement speed up a vertical surface so long as they don't stop. So that's 30 feet straight up, and then just go dash their climbing speed. Just... <laughs> I'm, I'm coming for you. <laughs> I'm going to get you. <laughs> Yeah, it's fucking terrifying. Uh, <laughs> so, moving a little bit further. As a sheep, you have a charisma score increase of uh, plus one. Your size is medium, and you stand anywhere between uh, four feet, 11 inches, and five feet, 11 inches. This is the other one that I think 90% of the people, you know, fuck it, 100% of the people would love this one. Inner Spark. Ovine wool gives a friend a little shock. But with a bit of practice, they can be honed into something extraordinary. Whenever you deal lightning damage to a creature, the creature takes an extra 1d4 lightning damage. Oh my god. <laughs> so I'm going to share something else <laughs> to the stream. Oh, no. Touchy, touchy. Now, while really it's not like... necessarily the most powerful thing in the world, the roleplay potential is just really fucking silly. And I'm all about <laughs> it. I actually really like this, especially for the lower levels, because if you're a low, lower level spellcaster and, like, he's almost dead, it might give you that extra little oomph just to push them over the edge, especially at those Dude, lower levels. as I always say, damage is damage. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> You're gonna have to start incorporating static shocked fucking door handles just like ah, you take one you one take one lightning damage. <laughs> uh thank god Zach's a heron gun and not one of these, or I'd be having a lot more trouble. Oh, don't worry. <laughs> a lot more Here, no, no 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 I'll do you one better. Ills on and see what happens. <laughs> Shit and silence from the DM. It's just like I didn't think of this. <laughs> I'm just going to sip my whiskey and move on. So, uh, we're going to scooch on into Homeland Trace. Like I said in the last session, these, some of these are very specific to the module itself because it deals with the regions of the Beast World world. Some of these can very much be used in any sort of campaign setting. Um, and again, I'm going to be skipping some of the lore behind it, so some of them may not make sense right off the bat. The first homeland trait, uh, Shepherds on the Green. Once per turn, when you hit a creature with an attack using a weapon with the Reach property and roll the maximum value on any of the weapon's damage dice, you can also attempt to knock the target down so long as the target is large or smaller. It can make a uh, Dexterity saving throw or a Strength saving throw, their choice. Uh, with a DC equal to 8, plus your attack bonus with the weapon. So, yeah, Damn. basically, if you just have anything... The the thing there is that it has to be something with reach. So, um, like a 10-foot yeah. reach. <clears throat> I think the two um, common weapons are, what, a glaive and maybe a whip? Uh, a glaive and a whip, yeah. Um, that might be it. Yeah. I think I there's a to... couple of pole arms um would you mind but, uh or... looking that up as i while i move on to the next one just because my Absolutely. own curiosity yeah. um 
The next one we have is Self-Sufficient Herder. You automatically succeed on constitution saving throws made to survive in extreme cold weather. Additionally, oh, you have proficiency in survival, and you know one cantrip of your choice from the druid spell list. Wisdom is your spellcasting modifier for it. I'm not going to lie. When you said constitution saving throws, I was just like, oh my, and they're also good against <clears throat> spellcasters. And then you said against weather, I'm like, damn! Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, the next one we've got is underestimated. This one's actually really, really, really interesting for um, roleplay aspects. So whenever you make a deception check against a creature with an intelligence score of 13 or more, you are treated as proficient and your proficiency bonus is doubled for the check. So basically Damn. you're this cute as a button little sheep thing. It's like, ah, there's no way this could lie to me. Look at it. And you're just through your teeth lying to these. People. I like how it specifies that you're treated as proficient. So you can't abuse it if you... Uh, have expertise because that would be fucking well. Over. So actually, that does. But the thing says the proficiency bonus is doubled for the check. You're basically or giving them uh, expertise with deception. That's but, basically what this is saying. Yeah, Zach. To answer your question, whether you're proficient, not proficient, or expertise, half proficient, anything, you are considered proficient, and your proficiency bonus is doubled for the check. Neat. Also, Ian, I have an answer for you. Go for it. So, uh, there are a couple of different pole arms. Uh, they're, they're basically all the same thing. It's just whatever um, kind of spin you want to put on it. Glaive, pike, uh, halberd. They're all, they're all the same damage and all that stuff. Uh, the two ones that stand out are the lance, uh, which is the only... Um, oh, the mounted weapon. Yeah, it is a mounted weapon. You can use it unmounted. It just has a couple of... Uh, things to limitations with it um, and then there's also the whip which is also the only reach weapon that has finesse um, although I would be interested to see if, if because of that feature they came up with any different uh, weapons of reach uh, for this module That'd be interesting. and if only we knew somebody who knew the answer to that question <laughs> <laughs> well <laughs> Oh. Uh, it's not me. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> I just so worked about that is a question. Have you guys do you guys have any like equipment slash weapons added for this module at all? Uh new magic weapons. Uh not yeah. so much new base weapons just because the bases are kind of covered. Any any new base weapon you can add would kind of just be a reskin something else. Mm -hmm, you know what true. I mean? That, that is on our docket of things to go over eventually. Uh, we actually had a poll. If you're interested in choosing what we talk about, we have a chat in here for Whiskey Wednesdays where you can suggest things. And uh, the races were chosen as the first thing to go over. So once we're done covering this, I'm going to put the poll up again, and we'll see what happens next. Thank you, Nan. say, races do not disappoint. Uh, so, scooching right along, we've got uh, a find a friend in fauna. My numb's, my numb's getting tongue with this uh, <laughs> stuff. Good God. Wow. I'll read this one then. If you oh, spend right. one minute studying your surroundings, you can discern the type and number of the highest challenge rating beast within one mile, as well as the direction to their location. You also know whether the creatures were forced to move unexpectedly, such as to flee a predator or intruder. Once you use this trait, you can't use it again until you finish a long rest. This has been Kipax reading... Find a friend in Fauna. 
Thank you. All right. <laughs> so again, a little bit more roleplay heavy, but if you are playing in a campaign where you are um, searching for creatures and doing a bunch of quests like that, this is a very, very good. It's like a weaker version of um, what is it called? Primal awareness that the Rangers have. Mm-hmm. So. <clears throat> oh. I could also I mean, see this being used uh, very well, especially in a campaign like ours where there's a lot of uh, dinosaurs roaming around. It's like, hmm, we don't really know which way to go. Let's see if there's anything nearby that's going to eat us. Well, now, it doesn't yeah. say what it is. It says the highest creature rating. So all you well, would know is that it's a CR3 something. You can discern yeah. the type and number of the highest CRBs. Now, I wonder I'm going to shut my dirty whore mouth. Yeah. <laughs> so I mean, like, well, if you really think about it, if you're like, if you're set to hunt a dangerous creature or something like that, usually a dangerous creature is going to be a little bit higher on the totem pole when it comes to that kind of a rating. So true. Mm. But as an example, if you guys decided to not take the road from Crossroads to Mail Glen and you wanted to try to cut through the trees, having someone with this ability, like every few minutes or so, well, actually, long rest, you could only do it once a day. But for at least a mile, you could be like, oh, there's something big over there versus <laughs> like nah there's nothing they're all tiny hey guys you see over there yeah damn's over there <laughs> <laughs> this damn okay uh the last one for the ov uh the ovine we have the school teacher when you cast a spell animal messenger on creatures that live in water you can affect a number of creatures with the spell equal to your proficiency yeah. bonus you can specify a different message and destination for each creature affected this way. Ooh, oh, that's so good. Now keep in mind, it's only in the water. Yeah, you're Aquaman. Well, yeah. I mean, <laughs> not technically incorrect. Aqua, Where is the Aqua line? sheep? <laughs> <clears throat> but still, again, a very, very cool feature that's maybe a little situational. But again, if you know what kind of campaign setting you're going to be going into... That's fucking phenomenal. To be fair, anybody can be anybody who has the knowledge that they that they need to put themselves in a preferable situation can use something regardless of how niche it is. Very true. I would love the idea of someone just having a goldfish in a plastic bag, whisper a message to him and say, "Hey, can you take this, you know, here?" <laughs> yes. Be free. <laughs> the goldfish will be set free to pass on your message. I interject hey, did you get my message? Yeah, oh, sure. I never got it. Oh, Please. No. I, I went through the book. I control after the word weapon because I'd feel really bad if I was wrong about the game. <laughs> and there is one new base weapon. Oh. It's oh. on page 44, field darts. It's lawn darts. <laughs> yeah, it's okay. Okay, now. Piercing, ammunition, rage 1020. So now, here, here's my question. You said lawn darts. Lawn darts are traditionally thrown straight up into the air and hope to God it doesn't land on your own head. Fortunately, not this time. They, th they throw at a distance. Okay, okay. <laughs> just checking, because I don't have any just... scatter dice anymore. I had them for Warhammer 40k. I don't know where they are. I'm not ready to start that shit again. <laughs> if only you knew somebody with 1,600 B6s and scatter die. I just pictured someone just like riding into battle and then just fucking mortar striking people with lawn darts. You're on the back of this horse and you just yeet, yeet, yeet. Good luck, everybody else. Yeet. <laughs> We're being chased. What do we do? I got an idea. 
Pappy taught me this one. Yeet! <laughs> <laughs> oh, man, back in the day when you could just let your kids out the front door and say, be back when the porch lights come on and you ain't getting dinner. <laughs> anyway. Bring from the hose. <laughs> Moving on, we have the Tenebrine, I believe is how it's pronounced. Uh, they are the raccoons and the possums. These are the ones Give that I referenced um, in the last session where... These are kind of the outcasts. They are the more or less the creatures of the night. They, they're more nocturnal. They can see better in the dark. Um, and because of that, they kind of have this social stigma of... Kind of like in Zootopia with... Uh, what's his face? The fox? Yeah. Where it's just like, oh, well, you guys are only out at night and you skulk around everywhere. Clearly, you're the bad guy. Blah, 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 blah. Um, but I, I also feel that these ones are very good for... Uh, role play aspects and you'll see some of these when we get into the, um, the the homeland traits and some of the other features that they have so the basic tenebrine traits uh, your dexterity score is increased by two you have a walking speed of 30 you have dark vision you can see in dim light within 60 feet of you as if it were bright light and in darkness as if it were dim light you cannot discern color in darkness only shades of gray that's actually something that i'm just now realizing compared to most of the normal D races Hardly any of the races in this module have dark vision. Yeah. Whereas oh. the basic races, there's only like two or three that don't. It's like dragonborn, yeah. humans, and uh, halflings? Halflings. Yeah. I, I, I suppose it, it, with uh, a lore centered around like dungeons and stuff, you would have to really be selective about who gets dark vision. And especially in like the animal kingdom, some of them stand out as like, yeah, obviously they would have dark vision. Yeah, <laughs> totally. I, I, I'm not, I'm not complaining. It's just an observation that I actually like this where yeah, I love it's, it. n it's not just a blanket feature that's just been given to, you know, everything, but three. Yeah. Uh, mm -hmm. It's interesting though, because Although the blank you're talking about the blanket statement, it's a lot of these don't have reasons to have dark vision, whereas elves kind of have night vision, dwarves have tunnel vision. It's all these stuff is like it's almost the exact flip opposite. It's like they have no reason to have it. I know, but no, I'm with, I'm, with no with that particular argument though. If you're looking at Dragonborn, dragons have night vision and fucking true sight, but Dragonborn don't. True. It seems a little. Eh. That's interesting. Yeah, I just sorry, I wasn't trying to contradict you. I was just saying it's, no, a, no, it's an interesting. I don't, I don't consider it a contradiction. It's it's an, an addition to our argument as a whole. I Toss appreciate you, Toaster. Now flip over, you're burning one side. Hit! Uh, <laughs> 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 I love how it actually reacts because it's tied to his voice indicator. Yeah. Flip. <laughs> Oh, uh, maybe I need to make that a gif where the toast pops out and spins around and lands back in again. <laughs> oh, that'd be amazing. All right, future project. Remind me, I'll do it later. <laughs> uh, project for future so when I don't have 15 minutes before the stream starts. Uh, <laughs> pristine blooded is the next trait that we have. All tenebrines are blessed with a supernatural immunity to sickness. You are immune to magical and non-magical diseases. Sorry, you cannot be a werewolf, possum, or raccoon. Additionally, this one's actually really interesting. A creature injected with at least a pint of your blood has advantage on their next constitution saving throw to resist or overcome a disease in the next 24 hours. 
Losing a pint of blood inflicts one level of exhaustion. Oh. Yeah. There's got to be some underground smuggling <laughs> ring of just, <laughs> of like, blood donors. Tenebrine blood black market. Jesus. Yeah. You say blood donors. You assume it was donated. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> oh, yeah. This is grade A, totally legit tenebrine blood right here. It's not. Grass fed. Grass fed. <laughs> <laughs> Free and range. Then you have to, and then you have to discern what's actually blood and what's snake oil. Oh, God. Imagine. Uh, no, what? No, don't imagine. We're just going to move on to Urbanite's Fortune. Uh, this one's very cool. Um, and actually, you guys may have made use of this in Mail... Well, I don't know if Mail Glen was 10,000 people. But uh, either Tenebrines are drawn to cities because if they are luckier there, or Tenebrines are luckier in cities because it's where they're drawn to. While in a city with more than 10,000 people, you can re-roll one attack roll, ability check, or saving throw that you dislike. You must use the second roll. Once you use this trait, you cannot use it again until you finish a long rest. So theoretically, Kasumi, had you been in a bigger town and had this trait, you might have gotten away with assaulting the Chamberlain. <laughs> Listen, I I don't like how you guys use the word assault. It wasn't assault. Oh, I'm sorry. It's called viciously attacked. <laughs> you viciously attacked him. My bad. I'm sorry, Kasumi. I was that's, just that's pointing my finger in his face. That's maliciously. You know, people are so offended nowadays. <laughs> so easily offended. <laughs> So touchy. Touchy, touchy. Uh, just, so, just so you know, if you were to ever do that to me in actual life, I'd take your finger from you. You would lose finger privileges. Uh, can confirm. He bruised my finger once because I decided to test that statement. By accident. <laughs> well, that was an mm -hmm. accident. Sure it was. No, it did. I believe him. So, uh, the, the first of the... Tenebrine uh, races is the raccoon. With the raccoon, you get a charisma score increase of one. They are about five to six feet tall. You're still a medium creature. Uh, the first, uh, the feature that they have is think with your hands. Raccoons have a brilliant tactile sense and can feel out the function of a mechanism. If you use an action to run your fingers over the teeth of a key, for the next seven days, you have advantage on dexterity checks made to open its lock. Additionally, you automatically pass dexterity checks made to open a lock you've opened before with a dexterity check. That's fucking amazing. That's wild. So basically during the day, you just go and check a door real quick and you unlock it and then you lock it back like, all right, guys, we'll come back at midnight. And you just <laughs> pop, done, in. <laughs> Not to mention, like, you're scoping out a place. I... Hmm. I wonder how it would work. Like if you if you're like just perusing, you're prowling in the middle of the day. You see someone with hefty looking pockets. You see keys hanging on their pockets. You just like brush by them, just kind of like see what their keys like. Yeah, hail them after. Ooh. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I mean, you'd have to make a really successful uh, sleight of hand check. But I mean, if you're playing a a raccoon with a plus two dex and you're a, a rogue with reliable talent and probably... Kirsten, what's your modifier now? Like fucking plus 10, plus 11 at this point? Um, It depends, but it, it's plus 12. Plus 12? Okay, yeah, you'd be <laughs> fine. Rogues. Rogues, man. Uh, next up, yes. we've got the possum. Their 
uh, ability score increase is strength. It goes up by one. You are uh, much larger and bulkier than the raccoons. You stand anywhere between five foot eight and seven feet tall. You are still a medium creature. This one's very interesting. Below the belt, possums can sweep their long tails to pull the legs out from unsuspecting foes. When you are hidden from a creature no more than one size category larger and within five feet of you, you can use a bonus action to make an athletics or acrobatics check. The target must succeed on a strength saving throw with a DC equal to your ability check or be knocked prone. It's basically a strength contest, but it's giving you an option between athletics and acrobatics, which is dex and strength. Additionally, your melee weapon attacks deal an extra 1d4 damage against prone creatures. So basically, you're hitting them, you're just thumping them with your tail while they're down, is the way I'm imagining <laughs> it. <clears throat> okay. Oh, yeah. Well, I mean, like, I see it as, like, an initiate, just kind of, like, he doesn't well, notice you, you're just like, all right, jump him. Jump yeah, him. <laughs> that's, that's going to be the trick, is you have to be hidden from the creature, which, again, if you're playing these guys, you're probably going to be a rogue, I would guess. I'm stereotyping the stereotype. Damn. Yep. Anywho, <laughs> uh, a lot of their homeland traits seem to be very much more uh, roleplay centric. And some of them are, they confused me on first reading and I had to go back and kind of like start over once I kind of read everything. So we'll, we'll see how this goes. Uh, the first one is dittoed rumors. You have proficiency with the forgery kit. Additionally, when you make a deception check to impersonate someone, you are treated as proficient and add double your proficiency bonus to the check instead of your normal proficiency bonus. That one's pretty flat, simple. You just go like, ah, yes, I am Kip Hack. This one, th oh, th the mosquito in the crowd is a phenomenal skill. So when you make a stealth check to hide in a crowd, you are treated as proficient and add double your proficiency bonus to the check instead of your normal proficiency bonus. Additionally, when you hit a creature with a dagger or short sword while hidden, you can choose to delay any damage or effect of the attack until the start of your next turn. The creature only becomes aware of the attack when the effects occur. Once you use this ability, you can't use it again until you finish long rest. You basically just Assassin's Creed this dude in the kidneys and walk off. And he's like, huh, what was that? Ow! <laughs> I fucking love that. Just my spleen! Yeah, it, it's... Again, I feel like that's a little bit more roleplay heavy. Maybe more the, the subterfuge campaigns. I don't know how well it would work. Now, granted, if Kasumi had had this, she could have shanked the Chamberlain and just walked away and gotten away with it scot-free and, like, <laughs> properly assaulted him and to her own yeah. words. What you fucking half-ass shit, <laughs> Bullshit. <laughs> Listen, never. I never thought that you would have done what you done did. Listen, yeah, exactly. there were reasons. <laughs> She's defending me for some. We're not going to let you live this down. <laughs> it's fine. It's fine. So uh, this is the one that I think confused me upon first reading, and I apologize if I kind of flub some of this. Uh, many Tenebrines make their way as street performers. You can throw your voice, choosing to make your words sound like they are coming from any point up to 60 feet away from you. Additionally, if you fail a sleight of hand check, you can improvise a misdirection based on the size of your audience to add a bonus to the roll equal to the number of creatures other than you watching the attempt, maximum of plus five, potentially turning a failure into a success. Once you add a bonus this way, you can't do so until you finish a long rest. 
So basically, okay. I believe that's if you fail, so long as there are other people watching you do this and you're making a show of it. So like if you just are trying to be sneaky and you're trying to pick someone's pocket, you would not get this. But if you're making a show of it and you're just like talking to the crowd and other people are watching you, then I believe that's when you would add that potential bonus to your role, depending on how many people are observing this quote-unquote show. Kind of like when you're, you know, watching a professional magician pickpocket kind of person. He's like, hey, look at that over there. And he's like waggling your watch behind your head. Mm. <laughs> it's very... Uh... Go I ahead. just love the fact that even if you're hiding it, you can just tell your party, hey, watch me go pickpocket this guy. <laughs> <laughs> that's that's interesting. It doesn't say <laughs> that it can't be friendly targets. <laughs> interesting. I, I feel like that's going to have to be dependent on your DM, how they want to interpret the rules. Because it does say, based on the side of your audience, if you've got a party of six... I, that that's a plus five. It's like we're, you're all just sitting there, just <laughs> they do say, just watching the crowd. <laughs> <laughs> I also think that this that one just sounds very um, opening of Road to El Dorado, where they're playing the dice yeah. in the streets. It's like, yep. oh no, it's you! <laughs> and he just starts shredding on the ukulele. Oh man, <laughs> I love that scene, locking eyes and just. Mm. Uh, this next one is uh, also pretty interesting. Stash finder. You have advantage on investigation checks to find hidden spaces in brick and stone. Again, very situational. Additionally, when you make a sleight of hand check to hide an object on your person, you are treated as proficient and add double your proficiency bonus to the check instead of your normal proficiency bonus. So again, it's basically, a, like, it's like, what watch? <laughs> I love it. That's just, I, I love everything about these, uh, Lieutenant Brian. <laughs> uh, and it looks like, last but not least, we have the training of privilege. You were blessed in your early life with a few knowledgeable acquaintances eager to do you a favor. You are proficient in one skill or with one tool of your choice, taught for free by this eager tutor. Additionally, you have practiced putting on airs, whether you actually grew up drowning in money or not. When you make an ability check to convince someone you meet of your wealth, you can choose to treat the d20 result as 15. You must decide to do so before making the roll, and this ability can only be used the first time you meet someone. First impressions are easier to mislead. Again, situational, probably great for more uh, roleplay-heavy campaigns versus combat. I don't think you convincing a purple worm that you're rich is going to do shit for you. <laughs> could do something for a dragon though it could well it could do something for a dragon they could just kidnap you harder <laughs> i'll be back with the money i promise <laughs> just like all right you meet a terrasque climbing over the mountains wait 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 does he know i'm rich <laughs> <laughs> i'm rich you know i'm gonna kill you wait a minute i'm rich because <laughs> that will stop that from happening <laughs> this means you're gonna die a liar. <laughs> uh. <laughs> Just put it in your gravestone. Said he was rich. Yep. Uh, so that that does it for the tenor, Brian. We're moving on to the Ursine. These these guys um, are 
really kind of cool. They kind of have, and I'm kind of skipping ahead a little bit here, but they kind of have what is currently the keen mind feature. Um, which if, you know, one D&D goes the way that it's going and they don't change the current keen mind, uh, this is probably going to be the only way that you can get it. Rich with the experience of death. <laughs> Nailed it. Uh. <laughs> He bought his way to an early grave. <laughs> uh, so the Ursine are bears. Uh, you are still humanoid. Your constitution score goes up by two. You have 30 feet of walking. And here's the thing. You have eidetic memory. Bears have uncanny memories that trap and store every detail. You can accurately recall anything you have seen or heard. There's no time frame here. Just period. Uh, additionally... Oh. When you make a strength or dexterity saving throw against a creature's non-magical ability, you have advantage on a saving on saving throws against future uses. Fuck's sake, uses of that ability <laughs> by the same creature. So, basically, if a creature hits you with a melee attack that requires you to save, like being knocked prone by a bull or whatever, if they try to hit you with it again, you have advantage because you've seen it, you understand it, you've memorized it. <clears throat> Yeah. Huh. Hmm. Yeah. This next one's a little bit more complicated, but on the inverse of being non-magical, this is basically for spells. So, mnemonic mind. When a creature you can see within 60 feet of you casts a spell that's on your spell list, you can use your reaction to commit it to memory. You can visit an arcane library or university within the next seven days to research the memory and learn to cast the spell. Doing so requires eight hours of research per level of the spell. If you are adding the spell to a spell book, you must pay double the cost of copying it from a scroll. When you finish the research, make an arcana check equal uh, with a, sorry, make an arcana check with a DC equal to 10 plus the spell's level. If you succeed on the check, you add the spell to your spells known or copy it into your spell book as if you had access to a scroll. If you use this trait to add a spell to your spells known, any previous spells added this way are lost. So basically what this is saying, normally as a wizard, you would have to find a spell scroll and then copy it to your spell book. In this instance, you just see somebody casting like fireball and you go, I want that. <laughs> and the H. Yeah, you kind of have two options here. You can either add it to your spells known at basically no cost, but if you do this again, you lose that spell, or double the cost that you would normally do if it were a spell scroll, and it's added to your book, you've got it permanently. So, if you're uh, poor, it's a good temporary. But I mean, generally speaking, by the time you get some really cool spells that you may not have immediate access to, you've, you're probably, probably loaded. Let's be yeah. fair. This is also an interesting ability for <clears throat> non-spellbook uh, casters like sorcerers or warlocks. Because they could do that and um, for them, they don't have to spend the money because they're not copying it to a spell book. So they just Correct. have to go do the, the time and research and they can keep the one they like. And then if they see something like that's a lot better, they can just if they ha if they can get to that library or university, switch it out. Correct. 
Yeah. And, and just adding on to that to make sure that people listening understand, if you do that and you're not copying it to a spell book, whatever you had previously, gone. Yeah. There is I mean, no Ikey. It's very, uh, I mean, it's similar <laughs> to like in a, in D and D or in a game switching out a weapon, like, okay, this weapon's not as useful anymore. So I'm switching it out True. for this one. But you also theoretically don't spend eight hours shopping for a sword. Well, depending on your group, don't get any ideas. <laughs> so, um, as a bear, your intelligence score goes up by one. You are still considered medium, but you're consider you're also, you know, a little bit more bulky. You're a fucking bear. You're anywhere from five foot two to seven foot two. Um, you also have the skill called toughen up. This one is really fucking cool. So the endurance of your progenitors runs in your blood, giving you the ability to steal yourself in a fight. When you roll initiative, you can also spend a number of hit dice up to half your level rounded down, minimum of one. When you spend hit dice this way, you gain a number of temporary hit points equal to the total rolled without adding your constitution modifier. These last for hmm. 10 minutes. So basically when you start a fight, if you're level 12, you are rolling six of your hit dice and you get temporary hit points. <clears throat> if you're a barbarian with D12s, fuck. You so ain't dying. Barbarian? Bar barbarian? Now that's barbarian. an interesting question. <laughs> yeah, what if you are an earth sign, but you're also pulling the uh, moon circle druid barbarian combo? Oh. That's a lot of fucking health. <laughs> <laughs> Especially at those higher levels when you can turn into an elemental. Oh, yeah. Oh, that's yeah. dirty. That that stuff. <laughs> shut Pay up, attention or shut up. No, I'm kidding. I don't know. What, no, no, I don't know what this thing you're talking. Like I know the race, but so like the the, class the general. You're talking about, I have no idea. The general premise behind uh, Circle of the Moon Druid Barbarian combo is the Circle of the Moon can transform into. Oh, a, okay. I know what you're talking about now. Yeah, you can sure. turn into a bear, but you can also rage. So you're a bear with. Double the hit points, so long as it's not magical attacks. And then when you run out of bear, you go, oh no! Well, I'm still raging with a lot of fucking hit points. Come at me, bitch. I mean, wouldn't you be able to also <laughs> do that in bear form? What? Rage? Yeah, that's the point. The health, the health point. No, no, the health point thing. The temporary hit points? Yeah. Yeah. I'm not even including the temporary hit points. I'm just talking about, like, right now, what that combo is. You go well, into a, okay. a, a bear, which has a huge health pool... And then you rage. And once that health pool of the bear wears down, you pop back into your normal form with all of your normal hit points. And then you just rage and you've got double your hit points. Or you fucking turn back into a bear if you have enough uses of it. Okay. <clears throat> so uh, the first homeland trait of the earth sign is spirited discourse. You can substitute intelligence in place of charisma for any performance or persuasion check. Additionally, as a reaction to another creature within 30 feet of you failing a saving throw to avoid becoming charmed, you can speak an encouraging word. When you do, the creature can immediately make the saving throw again. Once you use this trait, you cannot use it until you finish long rest. So basically, you see your buddy getting charmed, you go, don't fucking do it. <laughs> and they get to reroll. You go, oh man, you're right, I never thought of it like that before. Pulled him back from the brink by telling him, don't, don't. Don't, just, just don't. 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 <laughs> Stop. <laughs> Stop it. 
hear about that movie Crack Bear? You're gonna star in it. You do this. Oh God. This next one is uh, it's different. Um, Obsidian Bobble. You have proficiency with Smith's tools. If you have access to a forge and a chunk of obsidian, you can spend eight hours and 30 gold pieces working with your smith's tools to create a small bobble, such as a brooch or a handheld toy. The bobble is an uncommon magical item. Any creature can touch the bobble while casting a first level spell, which has no effect other than to be stored in the item. As an action, the creature holding the bobble can cast a spell. This removes the spell and destroys the bobble. That's cute. It's basically just a really cheap first level spell scroll. In, in, in a yeah. good way. Yeah. Uh, this next feature is super short. It's called Rules Lawyer. You can choose two first level spells. Those spells are on every class of spell list for you. <laughs> um, actually. Um, actually, I do have access to... Uh... <laughs> <laughs> uh, the next feature we have is Born of the Bay's Head. You have proficiency with the War Pick. If you hit a creature with an attack roll made with a war pick during the first round of combat, com- combat? combat the creature takes an extra 2d6 piercing damage. Look, this thing is numbing my tongue, okay? It's good shit. Num tongue? This next one is very, very, very good for someone on your team that rolls poorly. It's called Instructive Muscle. You are proficient in the athletic skill. When you succeed on an athletics check, you can demonstrate the method to creatures that share a language with you and are watching you. Those creatures as tr- are treated as proficient when making athletics checks to perform the same task. So, <laughs> for combat. Uh, so basically, if you jump over a river of lava and you succeed, you go, see, that's how it's fucking done. You just like look at the person like, look, look at me. Look at me. That's how it's done. Do that. <laughs> I love that. <laughs> yeah. In with your knees, not with your back. <laughs> lift and next? twist while sharply oh, pulling. <laughs> lift the car using your back in a twisting, reeling motion. A sharp, <laughs> jerking, twisting motion. <laughs> yes, thank you. Ah, my back. <laughs> next up on the species list, we have the vulpines. Vulpines? They're foxes. Uh, you are still humanoid. Your intelligence score increases by two. Your walking speed is 30. You have the feature Polar Sense. Vulpines unconsciously favor arranging furniture and other objects in a north-south direction and sleep with their heads facing north when given the opportunity. You are always aware of magnetic north. You got a a built-in fucking magnet, baby. (laughs) Yeah. I have a question about that. Uh Uh-huh. No. So if you're always aware of magnetic north, because I assume your brain is just uh, predisposed through evolution to know to sense the magnetic pull, mm-hmm. what happens if you get into a magnetically uh, interfering field? Uh, you start singing uh, old folk songs. She'll be yeah. coming around the mountain when she comes. It just scrambles your brain. <laughs> um, <laughs> I I would probably assume. If if me being the DM were to interpret this, I would personally say that nothing would happen because in the grand scheme of things, 
a planet's magnetic field is going to be way fucking stronger than a normal magnet. Well, it's just... There are magnetic fields, though, that you can take a compass into, and the compass gets super confused. So would... True. I'm not saying it would, like, mess up their cognitive abilities, but if they entered the field, it'd be like, I don't know where North is anymore. Uh, what's happening? Um... I mean, with, with when you put it like that, I would probably say that instead of just knowing it, they would either have to make a check or a check with disadvantage for maybe, like, survival or a nature check, maybe, depending. Yeah. That's kind of a DM question. It seems like that would be up to the DM. Yeah. It, 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 that's, that seems a little situational, <laughs> the, and I, I don't yeah, have an immediate answer say. for you because it, it depends on the situation. Because the right. rule does say just, you always know. Something. Yeah. It doesn't say always, but in this specific situation. <laughs> uh, but at the same time, it could be a really fun interaction of this, you know, really cocky player that's like, oh, why, yes, we need to go uh, this way. And it's like, so DM, which way do we need to go? You don't know. What do you mean I don't know? Well, <laughs> you don't know why you don't know. You just don't know. North is there, and then it's there, and then it's over there, and then it's up there, and now it's down there. DM, you'll just tell them north. You'll tell them which way is north, but lie. Oh, that's even better. Yeah. I, I could also see that'd be a really cool way to reveal, hey, something's wrong, or mm -hmm. it's it's like a cool twist that kind of gives the players a clue in some way. That's kind of the direction I was thinking of it. Yeah, that's that's a fair point, especially if you consider the, the purposes of this particular module is all dungeon delving, like multiple layers of dungeons. So being able to know Magnetic North while underground is a great way to keep you from getting lost. <laughs> Guys, we need to go into this dungeon. What's it called? The Magnetic Dungeon of Doom. Dear God, no. Dear God. There's more. <laughs> uh, next up, we have a feature called Prolonging Focus. Vulpines are united in their ability to pull extra motes of the supernatural using the raw power of concentration. When concentrating on a spell with a duration of at least one hour, you can extend it. At the end of its duration, make a DC 10 intelligence saving throw. On a fail save, the spell ends as usual. Otherwise, the spell continues while you concentrate on it. Every 10 minutes thereafter, you make another intelligence saving throw equal, uh, with a DC equal to 10, plus 2 per 10 minutes the spell has been extended. The spell continues until you choose to stop concentrating on it or until you fail to save. While prolonging your focus in this way, you appear visibly distracted to observers, and if you take damage, the spell automatically ends. Hmm. Sounds pretty cool. Yeah. Mm. Guess Nim probably popped out. He's probably pretty knackered. Yeah, he said yeah. he was going to go oh, get some yeah, more rest. Yeah. Well, I hope he gets better soon. I hate that he was just getting better and then he gets sick again. That sucks. Yeah. Uh, next up, we've got Volpine Deduction. A fox connects intuitive dots to make smart decisions in the moment. As an action, you can focus yourself on a closed-ended decision you face. That is, the decision must have a limited set of potential choices. Some examples include which exit to take out of a dungeon room, which suspect to accuse of a crime, or which of two pies to make your, de uh, to make your dessert from. Oh, Damn, how convenient. Only... <laughs> yeah, that's really fucking crucial to all D&D sessions, Kirsten. If only there oh, the timing. criminal to accuse. <laughs> what, fresh out for you being done with Yule? <laughs> no, I'm talking about the uh, the old man I quote-unquote assaulted. <laughs> oh, oh. 
<laughs> I got it. Yes, she quote unquote assaulted them. Yeah. What she actually meant to say is violently assaulted. <laughs> but you know. It's so okay. you make a DC 10 intelligence check. If you succeed, the GM tells you something about one of the possible decisions. For example, the east exit seems dangerous. The old man wasn't in town the night of the crime. Or blueberry is a bad flavor for a pie. You will usually learn something cryptic but helpful on a success. Once you use the trait, you cannot use it again until you complete a long rest. I would agree with that statement. It's very cryptic. Since literally all of the shit's like, blueberry's not a very good flavor of pie. Why? <laughs> yeah, that's like you guys spending 30 minutes trying to open an unlocked door, except you're deciding which fucking pie to get from the Swift songs. <clears throat> Obviously, one of these pies is the key to unlocking the door. <laughs> <laughs> Clearly there's a key in this one of these pies. <laughs> uh so for the uh for the vulpines there's still technically foxes but they're from kind of two different regions almost. So you've got the trade winds which you have a dexterity increase of 1. You are between 5 and 6 feet tall and you're usually taller than the others uh the the desert foxes. You also have preternatural sense. You can examine an object for illusions as a bonus action, and you have advantage on investigation checks to detect them. Additionally, when an effect requires you to roll a dexterity saving throw, you can roll an intelligence saving throw instead. Once you substitute a save this way, you cannot do so until you finish a long rest. As a desert fox, you have a constitution score increase of 1, you're a little bit smaller. You're anywhere between four foot three and five foot three, and you have vigilant senses. By acclimating to unseen fields surrounding you, you can sense if something moves through them. After spending at least one hour without moving, you know if a creature enters the area 90 feet around you and its size category. The feedback is strong enough to awaken you if you choose to let it, and it lasts until you move. Hmm. So basically, it's a 90 foot spidey sense. Oh, that's actually really cool. <laughs> Pretty cool. It's kind of like I'm a. Thinking, uh, mm -hmm. Go ahead. Oh, I was thinking the uh, preternatural sense. It's uh, it's substituting the dexterity with an intelligence saving throw. Has anyone seen the um, the movie about uh, bike messengers in in New York? I've seen I the can't... trailer. I haven't actually watched it. No, I'm it's... sorry. It's a movie about bikers is not entertaining to me. It it was actually very entertaining. It, it had a plot nothing to do with they are bikers in new york good movie if i could remember the title i would recommend it uh but there's this scene where they show the main character is a good biker because when he's about to get hit he can he can really quickly think okay these are all my areas of escape which one's the best way to take and i just kind of see that as how that would work almost so that that's a very cool ability i think yeah uh, that just made me think of that no, that, that's actually a really good call. You you basically, instead of just having the reflexes for it, you have the foresight to see, like, there's some stairs, there's a chair, there's a table this guy's coming for me. I remember that chair being there. I'm going to get behind it. He's going to trip over so I can fuck off and get out of here. Yeah. Kind of that uh, almost um, Robert Downey Jr. Sherlock Holmes I was going to say the Sherlock Holmes, yeah. Discompopulate. 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 make that reference again. Discompopulate. <laughs> It's really weird that you, that we actually had that reference earlier this morning talking about that. Yeah. I think it was yesterday, but yeah. What was it? Yeah. Discombobulate. 
<laughs> so <laughs> the, the first homeland trait that we have for these guys is sense for betrayers. You have proficiency in deception. You also have advantage on insight rolls to determine if someone has secret motives against you. Additionally, by spending eight hours continuously with someone, you have advantage on insight rolls to sense secret motives against them for the next 24 hours. You were just up this guy's ass, just, I'm watching you. <laughs> I don't uh, know you. <laughs> That's my purse. I don't know you. Uh, the next feature that we, ha- <laughs> the, that we have is uh, the Aurora tradition. Whenever a spell is cast within 60 feet of you that you can see or hear the components of, you automatically intuit the spell's school. Additionally, when you cast a spell of first level or higher, you can treat the spell as if it were any other school. Once you use this trait this way, you cannot use it again until you finish long rest. Wait, what? Yeah, this one is a bit confusing to me. I think the oh idea... Oh my goodness. Yeah. That's super overpowered for wizards. Yeah. So explain what it means, because that, that did nothing but confuse me. Okay, so additionally, I'm just going to read it again just so I make sure I have it. Additionally, mm-hmm. when you cast a spell of first level or higher, you can treat the spell as if it were any other school. Once you use this trade this way, you can't use it again for a long rest. One of the main features of being a wizard, especially when 5e first came out, is you got to, uh, your subclass is your school of magic. Uh, abjuration, evocation, whatever. Uh, all those classes have a built-in mechanic that if you cast a spell within your school, there is a side ability or a way you can kind of change it around um, because you are specifically studying that school. So with this tradition, you can make any spell you cast in your school so you can always use that ability. I guess I'd... Still don't understand. So okay, so a wizard has access to a lot of different kinds of spells: divination, evocation, that sort of thing. Let's say, as your subclass for wizard, you chose to take evocation. Okay. One of the features of an evocation wizard. Let Let me actually look one up here real quick to kind of. I'm actually looking it up uh, right now. Please go ahead. Um, Let's see. Okay, so Evocation has an ability called Sculpt Spell. At second level, you create pockets of relative safety within the effects of your Evocation spell. When you cast an Evocation spell that affects other creatures that you can see, you choose a number of them equal to 1 plus the spell's level. The chosen creatures automatically succeed on their saving throws against the spell, and they take no damage if they would normally take half damage on a successful save. So you could use that once a day. You can use that ability for any spell. So essentially what that would allow um, you to do is that if your party wow, is surrounded okay. by creatures and you cast Fireball, you can say, that guy, that guy, that guy, that guy, automatically pass or save, everyone else nuked. Gotcha. But okay. you can now use that feature of that subclass with any spell that you've got once per long rest. Okay. I guess it would make more <laughs> sense. It'll make more sense when I start playing like a class that actually uses that. Right. Because, like, I'm going out, what you're saying makes sense, but I'm sitting here like, well, I don't really understand what most of that means. But that's also, I I haven't started playing a sorcerer yet. Zeke. (laughs) Working on it. Uh, I would say, honestly, I think that ability would be the best for the Abjuration Wizards, because their ability is Arcane Ward, and so if they cast a spell of the Abjuration School, 
they get um, extra, I think it's extra hit points or like a shield or something around them that helps them take more damage so they're more protected. So if you're in a bad situation, you have that tradition, you can cast any spell you need to and still get that ability. Right. Very good. And basically, if you didn't have this tradition, you could only use those features if you cast a spell with the abjuration trait. If you cast something with evocation, you wouldn't be able to activate those traits. Interesting. Yeah. So that's that is a really cool ability. Yeah. Uh the the, the Volpines have Can some... I share my personal favorite interaction with that? Absolutely, oh, please. please. It takes a little bit of bending the rules for, for how AoEs work. <laughs> but if you have like uh, feline frontliners and you're a diviner, you can have like the diet evocation rules. So if you cast fireball as a divination spell, can't target your feline like monk and fighters say, you get like a diet evocation and just <laughs> goes around them. I, <laughs> it's so niche and silly. Like you can you can do other fun stuff. Like uh, enchanters can essentially get once a long rest twin spell, which is cool. But I just like that one because I like the idea of just like scaring the hell out of your felines who've never seen you do that before. <laughs> <laughs> oh fuck, that's phenomenal. Oh, that's right <laughs> because divination gets portent, which is where they have like two d twenty rolls they can use at any time, right? That's that too sounds correct. Yeah. yeah. Oh man, that's so funny. <laughs> I, I, I told you guys on the last session, the further we get down these races, the crazier they get. And we haven't hit the crazy ones yet. Yeah, we're not going to talk about that later too, Vile. When you go back up this list, you increase that power. Uh, the, the bunny is very displeased with the bunnies. <laughs> uh, but let, let, let's mosey on, on through. We, we still have quite a few that I would like. I would like to get through all the races tonight. And I'm going to stay up until it's fucking done. Uh, yeah. So next up, we have stashed in a foxhole. If you're caught in a situation where your money is inaccessible, for example, if it was stolen or confiscated, you always have some money or something else of value around. It might be in a sewn-in pocket, the heel of your left shoe, or in the form of debt you can collect from uh, someone nearby. The amount available to you is a number of gold pieces equal to twice your level. If you spend the money, it's deducted from your gold total. Once you spend the money conveniently accessed with this trait, you cannot do so again until you regain access to your, your main source of wealth. Okay. Didn't I have money stolen in Crossroads? A... Yep. Yeah. You know, so I wouldn't have had to, you know, reenact being Anakin Skywalker if that was the situation. <laughs> <laughs> that was pretty funny, though. Uh, uh... The next one in that same... Um, homeland region is position of strength you can use any combination of ability and skill to negotiate the cost of goods and services for example a fox bodybuilder might get a discount from a merchant by giving them advice on diet regimen and lifting technique making an athletics check an intelligence athletics check followed by a friendly request to knock a few silver off the price of his breakfast so you're a gym bro <laughs> In this particular Bro. instance, yes. You gotta use this protein shake, man. <laughs> no, man. You're lifting with your knees. You gotta live with your back. <laughs> oh, yeah. No, God. That's a horrible idea. <laughs> Fuck is uh, wrong with you. Listen, it didn't say you had to give them actually helpful advice. 
Yes, but still, fuck you. It says give them <laughs> advice. It doesn't say good or bad. <laughs> but that's so funny. So you can just mix and match to make sure you have proficiency and your highest um, abil- uh, stat ability. That's mm-hmm. so funny. Ooh, that's that's dangerous. Yeah, that's really fucking dangerous. Especially for like a rogue. It always comes back to rogues. No one ever says like, man, yeah. that would be really great for a barbarian. It's like, fuck, if a rogue gets their hands on this, Jesus Christ. <laughs> oh, yeah. Just break everything, asshole. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, next up, we've got Dune Dagger. Immediately after you cast a spell of first level or higher on your turn, you can make a weapon attack with a dagger. Fireball! Shank. <laughs> hmm, there's one See, dude in okay. front of me. And a bunch okay. of dudes over there. <laughs> oh, so, so, okay, so I'm just going to have to point this out here. You're not mm-hmm. thinking outside the box enough. Fireball, dagger, through the fireball. It's now a flaming dagger. Swan dive. You know, it Lightning says... Bolts. It Lightning does say bolts. a weapon attack. It doesn't say melee. So that that so, is true. You could mm, throw the dagger. dagger. Dagger through a lightning bolt. An electrified dagger that grounds your lightning and whatever it hits. That the limit is your imagination. The limit is what your DM will fucking allow. <laughs> Psychopath. Listen, you just are because I think of, just because I think of literally every stupid little minute thing that could actually happen doesn't mean that it's not cool. I also don't like that the first reaction, the first word that escaped your lips after being told like the DM rules all is just listen. <laughs> <laughs> Let me spin you a tail. <laughs> we all know that I come up with stupid shit that breaks the rules. Started with Zeke and it's just continually gone downhill from there. I just I just love Zach. You are the epitome of that suction cup man meme. It's like, you are in my realm. You will yeah. bow before me. <laughs> Fuck you. Fuck you. I'm such a yeah. cup man. Oh, so vile. To give a little pretense to this. We don't we need to tell him about game. suction cup man. No, not that. Fuck you. Oh, okay. Fuck <laughs> <laughs> you. <laughs> to give you a little pretense to this, I played my first campaign as a dwarf. Uh, for our big first boss fight, Zeke gave us control of characters. Oh, God. Let's he not, gave do me we have control. to go into this? No, it's just I'm going to end it up to this next sentence. He gave me the control of the town weaponsmith. So I took every single weapon that was powerful and written, cost a shitload of money, and gave it to everybody. <laughs> Done. <laughs> That's literally what happened. Nice. And I regretted Did it ever it since. <laughs> Uh, well, here's the thing. He rolled really high in his persuasion to let us keep it. <laughs> when I say really high, I mean I'm pretty sure it was a nat 20 plus modifiers. Nice. I'll, I'm going to have to go find that clip. I'm sure I had to have made that a highlight, right? It's it's somewhere. Just that look on his face of motherfucker. <laughs> yeah, the look on Zeke's face when we were on camera was just like, what have I fucking done? Yeah. He's like, giants are attacking the town. You have control of this guy. You have control of this guy. And Zach goes, all right. For his turn, he's going to go get all the weapons in his shop. As he goes, oh, shit. <laughs> I've never so lived it down. Nope. Nope. Still not going to live it down. Uh, all right. So next. Right. <laughs> next thing the, next, the, the next homeland feature and the last for the Volpines is cats stuck in the family tree. You have advantage on athletics checks made to swim. Additionally, you have proficiency with the trident, and when you make an attack with a trident against a target you cannot see, you don't have disadvantage on the roll. You're Aquaman. 
Aquafox. I, while cool, I don't get it. <laughs> uh, so the Alar, I believe, is the island region of the world. Oh, okay. So okay. theoretically, you okay. would be very fucking comfortable with the water. Okay, never mind then. Yeah. Makes more sense now. Again, that, that's why I prefaced at the beginning that some of these may not make sense until you get the book and you read about the regions that they're in. Because there's there's a, there's like a, at least a paragraph before each one of these homeland traits that explains why these traits yeah, are Yeah, because that was, that was my thing. Like, you were saying all the homeland traits, and I'm just sitting here like, okay, this guy's wearing this, this guy's wearing this. And then, it, like, all three of these guys lined up, and the last guy's just fucking Aquaman, you know, hair flowing in the wind with a fucking trident wearing bright-ass orange. And I'm just like, I don't understand. Right, so, and and uh, Vile can correct me if I'm wrong here, but, for example, I believe Alamance is considered to be, like, rolling green hills and fields. Oria is more of a wintry, mountainy area. Uh, LR is more like um, scattered islands. Like, think of a really big like Hawaii chain. There's just islands fucking everywhere. It's kind of that. That's what these different homelands are for, and why some of these traits make more sense when you realize like, oh, they're around water like their entire fucking life, so they would be proficient with swimming and have a trident that they're great at. That's pretty cool. So, but I don't want to spoil the whole book because it's an amazing fucking book. Go buy it. <laughs> uh next up we have the bats no fancy name just bats a fox wearing orange <laughs> the, the, the color class with their fur the color clashes with the fur eh well <laughs> you know maybe a white fox fuck it uh so um for the next couple of races i am gonna have to touch in their regular lore for some things to make sense um the bats are not from the main, like, realm. They're actually from the Astral Sea. They're kind of ancient, and they don't keep a history. So, basically, just like, whatever happened yesterday, well, that's already fucking happened. I'm focusing on now. Um, they're not able to fly, weirdly enough, unless they're in the Astral Sea, and then they have, like, really, really good maneuverability through there. Um... Let me see, do they actually... Okay, it does, does touch on that. So, um, as a bat, your charisma score increases by 2, and your dexterity increases by 1. You stand anywhere between 4 foot 7 inches, 5 foot 7 inches, and your size is considered medium. Your walking speed is 30. Here's the really weird thing, and I'm also... Uh, Kayla may still be listening, and if you are, pay attention, because you'll like this. You have Cairo Pocket. Every bat carries a connection to the Astral Sea while in another world, a.k.a. the Beast World. This Cairo pocket is an extraplanar space accessible through the inner membrane of their wings. As a bonus action, you can touch the inside of your wing to open your Cairo pocket or close it again. While it's open, your wings emanate the glow of the Astral Sea, and you can stow or retrieve an item as an action. Your Cairo pocket can hold cubic feet of non-living material up to 12 times your intelligence modifier, minimum of 12 cubic feet. If you attempt to stow living material or an item that's too large, it passes through your wing and falls to the ground behind you. You take any damage that the pocket's con contents deal to its interior, so you can't just stuff a stick of dynamite in there and be okay. Um... <laughs> If you fall to zero hit points or die, the pocket's contents spill forth unharmed. The space of your Cairo pocket cannot exist in the Astral Sea when your body is also present there. 
Traveling to the astral collapses your Cairo pocket and leaves its contents behind in your space the moment you cross over. So basically, Kayla can just go, put it in the wings, you'll lose it. <laughs> so yeah, you basically are just born with a bag of holding. Pretty cool. That's pretty fucking cool. <laughs> yeah. Uh, speaking of the wings, the next feature is wings. While a bat's wings don't allow for flight outside of the astral sea, they can still make an otherwise deadly descent into a breezy float downward. While your arms are free and you are not wearing heavy armor, you can extend your wings to fall at a speed of 30 feet per round. For every foot you descend, you can also move a foot, a, a foot horizontally. This costs movement as normal. So that, that's one thing. Oh, so, uh, while in the Astral Sea, bats have a flying speed of 40, regardless of armor worn, and they can hover. So if I'm reading this correctly... If you are moving horizontally with your wings, as soon as you reach your movement distance, that's it for your round, because it's technically six seconds of combat. So you're 30 feet, we gotta wait until the next round, and then you can move your next 30 feet, kind of thing. It's You basically have a built-in feather fall, so long as you're not wearing heavy armor and you're not holding a weapon. Yeah. <laughs> and depending yeah. on the stinginess of your DM, um... I can't remember. I think it's an action to store and draw a weapon. Or maybe a bonus action. I don't remember off the top of my head. I think I've... I started saying bonus action and I just said, fuck it, I don't care because it's ruining the flow and it's no fun. <laughs> um, it is a free item interaction. There you go. Or object interaction. I'm, I'm just talking to my ass and making up rules that I've already just discredited. So there we go. <laughs> uh... <laughs> Next up, we have Astral Echoes. This one, again, seems a little kind of niche, but also kind of funny at the same time. A bat's voice resonates on two worlds at once, and they can speak in the astral tones to listen for what echoes back. As a bonus action, you can emit a sound that's silent in the beast world, but a loud shriek in the astral sea. Anything in the part of the astral sea that crosses within 120 feet of you, such as a creature using the etherealness spell, becomes visible to, you, visible to you until the end of your next turn. While in the Astral Sea, this ability gives you blind sense out to a range of 120 feet instead. You can use this ability a number of times equal to your proficiency bonus, and you regain all expended uses when you finish a long rest. So very niche, but it could make or break a fight if you're fighting something that just happens to use etherealness. Yeah, that's true. I also just like the idea of you're fighting something and you go like, "Ah, oh, I'm dead!" And the fucking astral sea portal rips on. It's like, do you mind? You're shouting in my fucking living room. <laughs> I'm dying. Can you die, Equator? Ah, <laughs> <laughs> uh, let's see. Um, next up, we have the astral sea practiced astral crafter. The pale blue astra that fills every corner, uh, corner of the astral sea is the indefinite stuff that holds everything in every world. All willful creatures have some rudimentary power to manipulate astra, but bats, raised in its light, are the true masters of the craft. 
you can add your proficiency bonus to intelligence checks to perform astral crafting. Additionally, you know the Charles Chunk cantrip, and intelligence is your spellcasting mobility for the spell. The new spell is outlined later. We'll cover that in a future Whiskey Wednesdays. Definitely an, a very interesting kind of class to play. Um, the Astral Sea thing, I should say, is their homeland feature. Um, the the yeah. practice Astral Crafter. Um, I'm assuming oh. we have to figure out... I, I'm assuming we have to read some other part of the book to read up on astral crafting probably if it's what i think it is uh and i again reading the lore further up it's kind of touched on i'm pretty sure it, it's been a few weeks since i've read this part and actually like really poured over it but um it's basically you can just will things into existence like wow this place sure is empty there's a house there now wait did you just say you can will things into existence pretty much oh no oh yeah, no, no, moving on. Anyway, on to the brethren. Um, the brethren are yeah, basically no. humans. The humans, to kind of give you a recap, uh, a very, very quick recap. Um, if you've ever played World of Warcraft, think of it how the orcs escaped the Outlands to come to Azeroth. Um, there was a big calamity that was happening. A lot of their technology, um, if, I under if I remember correctly, they don't fully understand how their technology works anymore to some extent or it's just really hard to explain. And like you can find battery, what's essentially batteries. I forget exactly what the terminology is that they use for it, but it's, it's, it's a really, really, really interesting read. Um, the brethren were essentially tricked into coming to the beast world to conquer. And they were like, wait, why you guys are kind of cool. Why are we fighting? They're like, I don't know. You guys came here and hit first. Like, well, we don't want to fight anymore. Okay. You guys want to come live here instead <laughs> of your shitty home world? They're like, fuck yeah. <laughs> but uh as far as the timeline goes that was 15 years ago so uh generally speaking most of the willful beasts have forgiven the brethren uh even for if they murder their families there might be a little bit of animosity but it's it's starting to wane and the brethren are really kind of starting to take foot in the world again it's a really fucking great read and lore behind it it's it's amazing <laughs> do we just become best friends yes <laughs> Fuck yeah! <laughs> uh, so, shockingly, you are humanoid. Your ability uh, score increase can be... Uh, sorry. An ability score of your choice increases by two, or two ability scores of your choice increase by one. Uh, humans vary wild, widely in height and build, from barely five feet to well over six feet. Regardless of your position in that range, your size is medium. You have 30 feet walking speed, and you gain one feat of your choice. Now, as the homeland trait, um, you have scroll it. Yeah, you have one. It's called Broken World, uh, Keepsake of a Lost Home. This one's kind of long, um, but essentially what it boils down to is you have an item from the Broken World where the humans came from. Essentially, it's some a handheld item from basically the 1990s, like a Walkman or a flashlight. And some of the examples that they give is like, uh, the Curio is called a mirror bulb. The real world object is, it's a flashlight and its spell effect is the light spell. An immolation cinder is blowtorch, gives you burning hands. Shock needles is a taser, casts, it's firebolt, but it deals lightning damage. Vapor kit is a portable humidifier, create and destroy water. Nightwatch Stake is a motion detector. It lets you do the alarm spell. 
Reusable light wand, refillable glow stick, gives you fairy fire. Earbug, <laughs> it's an earpiece and a lapel mic, gives you the message, can't trip. So that's just some of the potential items that were given. But basically these, uh, these objects are able to cast a first level spell is essentially what that boils down to. Yeah. Very, very cool. Very, very, very unique feature. Um, oh, right. The, the batteries for these objects are called acid buttons. I fucking love that. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but yeah, that, that's essentially um, what it is. Uh, talk to your, to your DM. I'm sure you can come up with something phenomenal for it. it it just it's a very very interesting twist on being a human for a change <laughs> why why did i picture one of the fucking like 1990s like jelly grabby hands just being oh the little slapsticks <laughs> that's mage hand <laughs> hey bud can you get that thing across the room sure yeah. <laughs> amazing uh, and like Brick, who who uh, mysteriously had it not work the other night, he let go of the other end, just slapped across the room. <laughs> you just see, stuck on the ceiling. You're like, no, no. <laughs> damn it! <laughs> <laughs> so it's very unfortunate that Nim Nim dipped out because of his illness. Because now we get to talk about the kobolds. Kobold. So the kobolds, again, I'm, I'm going to touch on these next few a little bit more than before because they're just so widely different than the rest. And e even their equivalent in uh, like uh, just normal D&D &D 5e. So the kobolds are basically like teetering on the edge between quiet-minded and being willful. The playable kobold races are the ones that just happen to cross that threshold and gain a sentient thought. These are the ones that become the leaders of their supposed clans. They're able to organize and they start to think, you know, there just might be something out there. Beyond the wilderness. Yes. Uh, again, there's so much lore behind these things. I, I don't have the time to cover them all tonight. Um, but we're going to move on into the features. Uh, you are humanoid. You, your ability score increase is uh, your dexterity goes up by two and another score of your choice, except intelligence, increases by one. So, kobolds uh, are anywhere between three foot two and three foot ten. Your size is small. You have 30 feet of walking and your first kobold trait is escapers keepers. You are proficient in the sleight of hand skill. As a reaction to being targeted by an opportunity attack, you can make a sleight of hand check contested by the attacking creature's perception check. If you succeed, the attack misses, and you can take an object worn or carried by the attacker, but not one that they are holding, without them noticing. The object must fit in one hand and weigh no more than five pounds. Either way, after using this ability, any creature that can see you, including the target, is immune to this ability for 24 hours. So basically, middle of the fight, you could yoink a health potion out of someone's pocket and go, ooh, jungle juice, and just... <laughs> <laughs> All I can think of is the fight, those little barrels. Little barrels? But that's what jungle juice was. <laughs> oh, juice yeah, barrels. that's right. Yeah. The little, like, Donkey Kong barrels. <laughs> mm -hmm. In the middle of the fight, the bad guy's just like, ah, this would be a problem. If I didn't have a health potion of superior healing, where did it go? <laughs> Meanwhile, there's just a kobold behind just fucking chugging it. 
<laughs> Someone's <laughs> holding his legs. He's doing a fucking keg stand. Oh, who did lose? Ah, uh, uh, Kasumi had to dip out. Kirsten dipped out. Oh well, she has kids. It happens. Uh, the next feature that we have is called clumsy competence. Unburdened by the paralyzing effects of analytical thinking, kobolds have a way of getting to the solution they seek, even more so if unburdened by intellect. You have a plus one bonus to any ability check you make on which you don't have a bonus other than from your ability modifier. This bonus is plus two instead if your intelligence score is nine or lower. So basically you're so dumb you just succeed. <laughs> Orc logic. Yeah. Story of my fucking life. <laughs> <laughs> we can't uh, get the generator to work. How about you just punch it? Yeah, That's wow. not gonna... Oh, wow, it worked. Huh. Some bitch. Uh, the next one's stackable intellect. Again, this one seems a little situational, but could be really fucking hilarious at the same time. You gain a bonus to ability checks based on the number of kobolds within 60 feet of you. The bonus is determined by the kobold stacking table below. The, the number of kobolds goes from table. 2, 4, 8, 16, and 32 plus. The ability check bonus goes plus 1, plus 2, plus 3, plus 4, plus 5. So, so basically... Huh? Uh, I did not expect to hear kobold stacking table tonight. This is a trip. <laughs> but are you surprised by it? No, I love it. <laughs> it answers the age-old question, how many kobolds does it take to screw in a light bulb? Oh, <laughs> well played. <laughs> also, what I'm hearing is we need to do an all-kobold campaign saving a town of kobolds just to have some really oh, just ridiculous rolls. Oh, just no. a fucking totem pole. Oh, hold on, Marcus has a great point. So my question to this was, it doesn't say living kobolds. So if they are carried around tiny kobold wooden figures, do they gain? I thought you were going to say, is he just around a bunch of corpses? But your, your question is way, corpse. way more tame than what I was saying. A bunch of wooden <laughs> figures. <laughs> Which actually brings up a really interesting uh, idea for a villain. A kobold necromancer. Oh. 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 Yeah. Well, I mean, no, no witnesses. witnesses. <laughs> <laughs> I'm here to kill you. And here's your brother, who's also here to kill you. <laughs> so before we get too off track with murder hobo kobolds, um, the other thing that they have is lesser lineage. So made in the image of uh, their draconic creators, they exhibit characteristics of them. Choose one from the following, acid, fire, lightning, or cold. When you take damage of that type, reduce the damage by 1d6. This reduction increases at 2d6 at 9th level, 3d6 at 17th level. So basically you get just a little hint of your um, draconic ancestry here. Because the kobolds were created by the dragons. That's right, d6 reduction to those types of damages is really good though. That I, should not be my, Dude, damage is damage. If you're able to negate something, yep. fucking do it. Now, um... For you three who are actually in here and looking at my screen, this massive block of red on the side of the screen is the preamble to the last two races of the Delver's Guide to Beast World. Basically saying, these races are broken. And they are intentionally <laughs> broken. This was not an accident. 
Um, yeah. Basically, DMs beware. Uh, while they are not inherently game-breaking, you need to be careful because in the right hands, <laughs> Zach, they can be very game-breaking. Unlimited power. Basically. But at the same time, we're going to put them together. They're just so fucking cool. So first up, let's go ahead and get the jokes out of the way. It's the Jackal. Jackal. It's Jackal. It's Jackal. All right. Now that that's done, we can move on with our lives. Basically, (laughs) these are the traditional elves. The Jackals, some of the Jackals that are still alive today were around... 1300 years ago when the deity first decided hey those guys walking around in four legs would be great to talk to yoink and they basically just they they don't they don't die from normal situations they would have to be killed by external means um so again there's like there's so much lore for the jackals that would be a whole other stream to go over so just their traits are going to take me a good few minutes here. So, scooching on, uh, as a jackal, you are a fae. That's huge. Um, huh. A whole person would not work on you. Because you'd oh. have to be humanoid for that to work. As an example. So, uh, your ability score increased. Your dexterity score increases by two. Your intelligence score increases by two. And your wisdom score increases by two. Jesus, dab dancing Christ. I, when, I, when I said that these characters are going to be a bit broken, I wasn't joking. Uh, jackals are considered medium. They stand anywhere between six foot eight and seven foot eight. Your walking speed is 30. Your first feat is ageless. You are immune to any effect that ages you at an unnatural rate. The next one, I'm going to take a drink of whiskey here, lube up the pipes. Yeah. (laughs) Oh, fuck, that's right, it burns. (laughs) Obscuring Dream. You can cast the Dream spell once with this trait and regain the ability to do so when you finish a long rest. You can also cast either of those spells using any spell slots you have the appropriate level. Intelligence is your spellcasting ability. When you cast Dream, instead of causing a messenger to appear in a creature's dream, you can cast a mental fog over their recollection of any encounter with you. They are unaware that they are the target of the spell, but it fails if you made a jarring impression on the creature during the encounter. (coughs) Kasumi. Uh, Such as fighting them or using strange magic. Otherwise... Yeah, well, she's not here to defend herself, so... (laughs) Otherwise, the target must make an intelligence saving throw equal to, or with a DC equal to 8 plus your proficiency bonus plus your intelligence modifier. A creature with an intelligence score lower than yours automatically fails the save. If you have a body part, tuft of fur, clipping from a claw, or similar portion of the target's body, the target makes its saving throw with disadvantage. On a failed save... The creature forgets that you were present in their memory of an encounter up to one hour long that happened within the last seven days. The event isn't erased, but your identity becomes a missed detail in the target's long-term memory. On a successful save, the memory is unaffected and you cannot use the spell to alter the same memory again. So, 
the lore with these guys is basically they've been around so long, they kind of live on the outskirts, and they occasionally come in to help, but they don't like being in the limelight. So they're basically like, yeah, we'll help you. You net or what what's the penguins think? You didn't see <laughs> you anything. You didn't see anything. <laughs> Just slides yeah. under the mantle. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So that that's more or less kind of what's happening here. Um any questions on that before we scooch on? Yeah. It's pretty pretty straightforward. Oh. All, All right. right. Cool. Uh next up we have life's passion. You gain profici- proficiency with one artisan's tool of your choice and in one skill chosen from the following. Arcana, history, medicine, nature, or religion. Your proficiency bonus is doubled for any ability check you make using either of these proficiencies. Additionally, you gain proficiency with one martial weapon without the heavy property, which counts as a finesse and throne weapon for you, a range of 20 to 60. I should also mention again that these are basically the elves, so as they get older and they mature, they get a an obsession and that's why they have these proficiencies because they're just so hard into studying this. They are literal experts in these realms that that's why they get these bonuses. Um, next up, we have Birthmates of the Arcana. The Seelie's uplifting of the jackal species coincided with the nursing of the infant Arcana and their fundamental connection to it grants them spell-like abilities. You know the Eldritch, Eldritch Blast can't... The Eldritch Blast! Additionally, choose two first level spells with the ritual tag from the wizard spell list. You can cast each of them with this trait, ignoring any material components without an indicated cost. Once you cast either chosen spell with this trait, you cannot cast a spell with it again until you finish a long rest. You can, however, also cast any of those spells using any spell slots you have of the appropriate level. Intelligence is your, spell, is your spell casting ability for these spells when you cast them with this trait. If you cast them with just a regular spell slot, you use whatever the spell tells you to use. So yeah, the scary thing, they're still not the most broken race in this game. We're getting to them. <laughs> yeah. so they, it seems that they do not have homeland traits, though. Not that they need them. I'm just Correct. making an observation as well, far as I can see. Because they kind of exist everywhere. Like they you remember how we were talking about your custom race and how their city was sort of like hidden in illusion? I mean it was underground, but yeah. Well, it's basically Hominoptera from the mummy. Like their city is is physically there, just no one either no one remembers that it's there or they just literally cannot see it. That's okay. kind of how the magic works if I remember reading that correctly. And considering the vial hasn't piped up yet, I'm assuming that I'm correct, so we're going to go with that. <laughs> but, hey, I could be wrong. I don't necessarily uh, know if you're correct in every case. Uh, believe it or not, it's a big book. I haven't read it all the way through either just yet. <laughs> <laughs> well, so there you go. Buy the book, correct. read it, leave a comment, let me know how I fucked up. I will never learn unless you tell me otherwise. Prove us wrong. Yes. <laughs> fucking on it. Oh, God. And Metal's just dedicated enough to fucking do it, too. <laughs> All right. Uh, so, moving on to the dragons. Uh, these guys have some really, really cool roleplay potential. 
And a lot of that has to do with um, basically when you were born, you don't have a color. Your color comes from what you do with your life. So as an example here, uh, gold and red are the same under the scales. Every dragon is hatched between two extremes as a glassy creature known as a hyaline dragon. These newborns have, transluc have translucent skin and organs. Only the beating crimson heart is visible within the baby. Hyaline dragons begin to show one of two possible colors based on their moral decisions. Thus, every new generation, a chromatic tyrant's child has the potential to demonstrate kindness and earn lustrous scales like a metallic dragon. So, that's all I'm going to touch on because there, there's so much more, but uh, there theoretically your colors could change like if you start a campaign generally speaking as you get older as a dragon your color is far less likely to change but if you want to play a younger dragon and let's say you start off as a metallic and you're like ah yes i am good and everything i'm a paladin blah 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 but you join a crew of you know fucking idiot rogues and bards and you're like well i kind of like what they're doing Partway through the campaign, your colors, you could go back to being translucent as you were changing colors to a more chromatic shade to kind of reflect the fact that you were being corrupted by these degenerates. It's a very, very oh. cool option to have roleplay wise. It's like the DM's like, oh yeah, you wake up and you can see through your hand. <laughs> God damn. Yeah. Uh, so, um, moving on into their traits. As a creature type, you are a dragon. That's really fucking interesting. Because there's a lot of spells that say humanoid or beast and such. And as your creature type being a dragon, that can theoretically make you immune to quite a few spells. Yeah. So, uh, yeah. for your ability score increase, an ability score of your choice, other than the one, than the one increased by your subspecies, increases by two. And we'll get to the subspecies here in a minute. Uh, you are medium size. You have 30 feet of, speed, of walking speed. Um, flight. You have a flying speed equal to your walking speed. Again, DMs be careful. Flight is really broken in the early levels. Um, it can really negate a lot of the beginner level fights where verticality isn't a problem yet. Uh, so just keep that in mind. Next up, we have natural weapons. Your tails, claws, and teeth are natural weapons, which you can use to make unarmed strikes. If you hit with one of them, you deal damage equal to 1d8 plus your strength modifier instead of the normal damage for an unarmed strike, which is usually 1 plus your strength modifier. Your tail deals bludgeoning damage, your claws deal slashing damage, and your bite deals piercing damage. Additionally, when you make an attack action on your turn, you can make it a tail, claw, or bite attack as a bonus action. Or you can make a tail, claw, or bite attack as a bonus action. So you can attack with a greatsword, just hang on! Oh, that's actually pretty good. Uh, we've got natural armor next. Your scales are a source of protection as well as pride. When you are not wearing armor, your AC is 13 plus your dexterity modifier. You can use your natural... Hmm? Yeah. 
You can use your natural armor to determine your AC if the armor you wear would leave you with a lower AC. A shield's benefits apply as normal while you use this your natural armor. <clears throat> so I think I mentioned this before when we were talking about the armadillos, but basically if you had a like mariner's leather armor, which gives you uh, uh, a swim speed of 30 feet, if that AC is lower than your 13 plus decks, you still get your 13 plus decks and the benefits of that. For yeah. anyone else, you would actually lower your AC by wearing the armor. Cause it would, I guess it would be considered like restricting or something. And I, I don't know. It's still, it's very cool. Yeah. Very broken. Cause I mean, if you have a plus five to your decks, that's 18 AC, just box standard. Yeah. Sure. Now this last one, unreal potential your maximum for all ability scores is 22. Damn. All of them. Damn. <laughs> yeah. Now, that doesn't mean that you can get all of your ability scores to 22. But you can get a primary and maybe a secondary if you play your cards right. I, th I think you would only well, be able to get... I think you would only be able to get two to 22. I think. Well, I mean, that depends on how, uh, how well you roll. For, uh, your yeah, ability if you're, if beginning. you're doing, unless you're doing point by, yeah, if you're doing the rolled ability score where you roll 46 and pick the three highest and you just happen to get three sixes and then you've got your plus two from your, uh, you know, your ability score increase as a dragon. Yeah, you could, you could maybe get three. It, I don't know. Maybe. So, um, the next one that we have is the Draconic Lineage. Instead of choosing a homeland trait when creating a dragon character, first select a subspecies, or color, and then choose a lineage. Subspecies determines the focus of a dragon's natural talents, while lineage determines a dragon's breath weapon, special movement options, and energy resistance. Choose a lineage whose traits are outlined below. Cove, flatland, glacier, or volcano. So... Oh, there's a lot more to go through, but it's kind of cool. So, um, as a monarch, as a red or gold dragon, uh, your charisma score increases by three. You get crown and scepter. You're proficient in the intimidation and persuasion skills. You have the ruler of dragons trait. Millennial, millennia of magic and breeding have culminated in unquestioned privilege. A monarch dragon's natural gift is simple. Power over other dragons. You have advantage on attack rolls, saving throws, and ability checks made against dragons and to resist their abilities. Hmm. You have presence, which monarch dragons can gather their otherworldly demeanor and project themselves to terrible or inspiring effect. As an action, creatures you choose within 30 feet must make a wisdom saving throw with a DC equal to 8 plus your proficiency plus your charisma modifier. If a creature saving throw is successful or the effect ends for it, the creature is immune to your presence for the next 24 hours. Uh, if they fail, they suffer one of the following effects for 10 minutes. Frightening presence. You're basically scared. Um, you, you have the fear put on you. Uh, you drop what they're holding and become frightened for the duration. If the creature ends its turn in a location where it doesn't have line of sight of you, it can make another wisdom saving throw. Or Majestic Presence. Uh, this expression is something more basic than the parlor trick of enchantment mind-fiddling. You are a fundamentally trustworthy force in the world. 
Creatures under this effect are charmed by you and regard you as a wise and discerning leader. Again, there's there's going to be a lot to go through here, so I'm just going to touch on a few things. Um, there's a whole lot of nuances to being a dragon here. Uh, dragon magic, you can cast the command spell with this trait. Once you reach 5th level, you can also cast the, cast the summon subject spell with it. Again, a whole bunch more going on with there. I, I may skip over some of these. Um, as a bulwark, a white or silver dragon, your constitution increases by 3. You have the layer builder feat, which white and silver dragon mines are the master of creation. Whenever you gain a tool proficiency, you also gain a second tool proficiency of your choice. Oh, wow. Th this brittle shield scales. Your scales have a hard exterior shell that breaks away to protect you. Whenever you finish a long rest, you gain temporary hit points equal to five times your proficiency bonus and a plus two bonus to AC. Additionally, your scales turn away trivial sources of damage. You take no damage from any single effect that deals less than 4 damage. Once you reach 11th level, the threshold increases to 6. You lose this immunity and the bonus to AC once you fall below your maximum hit points, and you don't regain them until you finish long rest. So basically, so long as you have those temporary hit points, your AC is plus 2. Once you lose those temporary hit points, you're back to your normal AC. So very good. It's very fucking good. Very fucking broken. <laughs> um, again, dragon magic for these guys. You get the shield spell, and at fifth level, you get. Uh, you can also cast the bulwark of of scale spell. Spell. Blah 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 blah. Yeah. Spell scale. Spell spell spell. Next up, we have the dancing or the green and copper. Your dexterity increases by three. You have Masterpiece of Movement. Dancing dragons are born with supernatural agility and body awareness. You are proficient in the acrobatics and performance skills. You've got Body of Grace. Your natural weapons have the finesse property. When you reach 11th level, your natural weapon attacks score a critical hit on a roll of 19 or 20. Mm. You've got Contorted Breathing. Uh, this is going to make a little bit more sense when we actually get into the breath weapons. Uh, you may be able to just interpret it because, you know, you're all smart people. You can bend your breath weapon into a unique shape depending on your lineage, outlined later in the section. For Cove, you can choose the radius of your acid breath's splash up to the maximum for your level. Volcano, you can exclude creatures of your choice from your fire breath. Flatland, the line of your lightning breath can change direction twice. A creature can wow. only be affected once by the line. Damn. Aww. Glacier. <laughs> <laughs> you heard Zach's gears turning yeah, and just, immediately just yeah. get pissed oh. <laughs> <laughs> No, it's still good, but like... Yeah. Uh, the panels created by your ice breath do not need to be contiguous. Again, I'll come back to these once we actually get to the breath uh, weapons, and we'll kind of use them as reference. Your... Okay, I was about to say, I'm a little the... confused on the last one, but sure. <clears throat> It'll make sense, I promise. Uh, dragon magic, you get the long strider spell, and when you reach fifth level, you get the perfect respiration spell. 
As a scholar, black or bronze, your intelligence increases by three, and you have Ancestral Librarian. The Scholar Dragon's eyes are born to drink in the wisdom of the written world. When you gain proficiency in Arcana, History, Medicine, Nature, or Religion, you also gain proficiency in another one of these skills. Additionally, you read at five times normal speed and can copy spells into a spellbook at five times normal speed. Jesus Christ. Yeah. Just burp, burp. <laughs> I have a page of notes and it's done. What? Yeah. It's done. What? I Hold on. It. What are you doing? I barely wrote my name on the page. What are you doing? <laughs> just pulls out like this beautifully calligraphy, calligraphy written page. It's just like, mm-hmm. yes, I also enunciated all of the words. <laughs> oh, I was out of my red ink, so I had to mix mine uh, yellow and orange. I don't fucking know how you make red. My, my brain's too buzzed out from this fucking whiskey. <laughs> um, the more question I can't answer. Uh, red is a primary color. You can't mix it. <laughs> uh, excuse you. I am the DM, and this is a fantasy world. You subtract the yellow from the orange and make red again. I have spoken. Oh, you got me there. You got me there. <laughs> As a professional painter, I say bull fucking shit. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, my uh, That is the second time I've been called on my bullshit by one of the guys from Heartleaf. I fucking love it. Uh, uh, no punches. I, look, I. So long as you can give as good as you can get, you're. We're all good. Uh, this next one is. God, it's fucking broken, but I love it. Uh, so it's called Altered Arcana. You gain two metamagic options of your choice from the sorcerer class. You can oh. only use one metamagic option on a spell when you cast it, unless the option says otherwise. Whenever you reach a level that grants the ability score improvement feature, you can replace one of these metamagic options from another one from the sorcerer class. You gain four sorcery points to spend on metamagic, which are added to any you have from another source. You regain all spent sorcery points when you finish the long rest. When you reach 11th level, you gain another metamagic option from the sorcerer class and two more sorcery points for a maximum of six from this trait. Yeah, just convert your spell slots real fucking quick. Well, I don't know that you can use that feature. Because it's basically saying you get... Well, the metamagic op- is one of the metamagic options to sacrifice your spell slots to or your sorcery points to make spell slots, or is that another feature of the sorcerer class that has nothing to do with metamagic? I thought, that was, a fe- I thought that was a feature. Uh, I think that's sure. a metamagic trait. It goes either way, uh, sorcery points to spell slots and vice versa, I believe. Well, fair enough. I haven't gotten the chance to play a sorcerer yet, so I'm a little fuzzy on those details. Kip knows better! Didn't you die twice? What's that? I said, didn't you die twice? Shut up. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, For their dragon magic, they get the identify spell without requiring a material component and two other first level spells from the wizard spell list with this trait. Once you reach fifth level, you can cast the draconic lucubration spell and two additional spells up to third level from the wizard spell list. Some of those spells are, are probably going to be covered later on in the book, and we'll touch on them on a later date. And if I remember, we'll come back and be like, oh, that's what that fucking meant. I'm going <laughs> to get back in real quick. Mm-hmm. Uh, depending on how you read the rules, um, font of magic is what lets you create spell slots. It's often married with meta magic because obviously it's in the same class, so it's usually in the same breath, but they are technically two separate abilities. 
then uh, I would personally rule that no, you could not I just sacrifice what bad magic is. I'm gonna go sit in the corner now. Well, magic with the corner and the spell slots and the pudding pops. No, so like meta magic is like increasing the range of a spell, increasing the damage that it can deal, um, increasing the amount of creatures that can be targeted, things of that nature. Yeah. Uh, so next up, we've got the Whispering. They're blue or brass dragons. Your wisdom score increases by three. Uh, the first feature is listening in shadows. Whispering dragons blend into shadow. They excel at spotting prey and overhearing secrets. You're proficient in the stealth and perception skills. They've also got true hearing. You can hear sounds ignoring up to two feet of stone or material of a similar obstruction. When you reach 11th level, you can also focus yourself as an action to listen in at uncanny distances. You can hear sounds as if you were standing in any space you choose within 300 feet of you. This ability ignores solid objects ooh, scroll back up, of any material and thickness, but does not defeat the silence spell. So basically, you could be in a noisy tavern and just be like, yeah, I'm going to just go, quote unquote, sit at that table over there. Just shush a second. <laughs> uh, next up they have venomous claw your claws are finesse weapons when you hit a creature with a natural attack made with your claws you can deliver a shock of poison into the wound the target must make a constitution saving throw equal to 8 plus your proficiency plus your dexterity bonus on a failed save it takes an additional 1d12 poison damage and is poisoned for 1 hour on a successful save it takes half damage and is not poisoned when you reach 11th level, if they fail to save by 5 or more, the target is also unconscious while poisoned in this way. The creature wakes up if it takes damage, or if someone uses an action to shake or slap the sleeper. Who would actually take the option of shaking if you have slap as the other one? Uh, I can imagine some kitty cat having the restraint to like not swipe their claws across their friend's face. I don't know. <laughs> I guess it depends on if they actually like their party member or not. <laughs> uh, once you use this ability, you cannot use it again until you finish a short or long rest. Their dragon magic, uh, they get the illusory script. And at fifth level, they get discern the heart's horde. Which again, I do believe is a... Uh, uh, Thank God you didn't fumble that one, I'll be honest. What, discern the heart's horde? Yeah, somehow That's I was one. able to say that, but I couldn't <laughs> fucking say... Uh, anyway... Uh, so, I, I just want to cut in real quick and mm -hmm. say, um, and Vile, you can pass this on to the to the rest of the team. I think it's a really interesting choice to make the blue dragons, at least for the chromatics, uh, the kind of whispering, um, conniving, in the shadows type of dragon. And I think it's interesting because of a little fun fact I know about ninjas, which is we think of ninjas as wearing all black um, in oh. modern media. It was actually far more common for them to wear blue because it was still good for blending into shadows and uh, crowded areas, but it wasn't as ostentatious as wearing black. So I thought I thought that was a really cool. I don't know if that's where that came from or if y'all had a similar idea or if it was just out of the blue, but I just think that's really uh, an interesting little tidbit. It seems like the kind of thing Colin might do on purpose. <laughs> uh, but he, he's, he's in the server and I'm sure he'll listen to this so we'll probably get his thoughts sooner or later 
which is also i do have to chime in as well like which i do find very interesting because to be completely honest with you myself included uh world of warcraft inspires a lot of draconic traits usually a lot of people who i talk to that have to do with dragons blue is always has to do with magic uh sorry black usually has to do with earth red is always fire yellow is always time and or time dilation magic and green is always sleeping magic and for somebody to go completely polar opposite is actually kind of cool. Yeah. Yeah, in the same uh, I might be that... wrong about this. I, I'd hate to call someone a Warcraft player if I'm wrong, but uh, <laughs> I think I think of us, Lexi is the only one with the history in Warcraft. So that much, that subversion's more on accident, I think. That's okay. Now, to, be, also... a thing, to be a total dick, the other option is they just ran out of colors to go with brass and it was blue. <laughs> <laughs> no, well, no, no, no. It, it's because uh, brass tarnished... No, it's copper that tarnishes. Yeah, I don't know. No idea. Well, no, brass, brass tarnishes greenish blue, doesn't it? Hold on. Go, go I, ahead, Zeke. I I'll look it up. I was copper when I said that. I don't know. Uh, but I, no, I think it's actually really cool that you guys, because there is a kind of sliding scale for uh, dragons in five in D and D five E mm-hmm. of intelligence to animalistic nature, and on that scale, white and blue are kind of on the more animalistic side if i'm not remembering correctly and green is the more conniving but you guys just went a totally different direction and i love the direction you took with it i'm mostly happy with it because white dragons are, have always been kind of lame to me and yeah. i feel like they shouldn't be yeah, I think uh, if you're the... up in the mountains and you see a dragon you need to be like scared shitless not like oh those are the, those are the dumb ones no worries yeah, <laughs> yeah those, those are the hillbilly cousins we don't talk about <laughs> uh so brass does turn a blue green color when it patinas there you go. Yep. Um, honestly, if I had to say, I think the jumping back on what you guys were saying, the the white dragons I feel are some of the scariest ones to me. Just I, I don't know in their their ability to just free shit. You talking about well, regular D and D or in D and D? Yeah. No, I agree. I feel like the the big thing is that when you make a dragon animalistic, you kind of just like have a big lizard. Like I feel like it, it loses the <laughs> yeah, draconic. That's Genesis fair. Because generally speaking, if you're playing as a DM, if you were using a dragon, the dragons are supposed to be smart as fuck. They are going to know which one of you is the healer, and they are going to go for the healer first. The white dragons, not so much. They just kind of do whatever they want and just like foaming at the mouth and yeah. So fair point. I will I will say though I think that creates an interesting dichotomy of like I said the sliding Ooh, scale of intelligence word. to animalistic. Thank you. Um, <laughs> but it's when you're dealing with a green dragon, you know it's going to be conniving. You know it's it's got an angle. You know it's got a dagger it's behind be its tricksy. back. But when, yep. when you're dealing with a white dragon, it's completely unpredictable it is super animalistic you can't really predict what it's going to do because in one moment it might be actually using that intelligence that it does innately have because it is a dragon but anything's going to set it off and you don't know what that button's going to be yeah uh so gonna scooch on to lineage traits so uh for the cove lineage you are amphibious. You have swimming speed equal to your walking speed. You can breathe air and water. With your acidic scales, you have resistance to acid damage. And uh, for your acid breath, you 
Your breath weapon is a targeted burst of acid that destroys objects. As an action, you can exhale a focused spray of acid targeting a creature or object you can see within 30 feet, which splashes in a 5-foot radius on impact. The target, as well as each creature and object within 5 feet of it, must make a dexterity saving throw equal to 8 plus your proficiency plus your constitution or dexterity, your choice. The target takes 4d4 acid damage on a failed save or half as much on successful. Uh, each creature and object within 5 feet of the target takes half damage on a failed save, but no damage on a successful one. Acid breath does double damage to objects and structures. So, uh, the range and damage and splash radius <clears throat> of the breath goes up. So at first level, your range is 30 with 4d4 damage and 5 feet splash. At fifth level, it's 60 feet, 8d4, and 10 feet of splash. At 11th level, 90 feet, 16d4 damage, and 15 foot splash radius. And at so 17th level... <laughs> hold on. At 17th level, it's 120 foot range, 32 D4, and 20 foot splash radius. Does anybody even actually own 32 D4s? I'm pretty no, sure if you tried sure to roll all those at once on D&D Beyond, you would crash the entire website. If someone does, though, hang on, guys, let me get my D4 collection. Uh, they come back with like a big ornate wooden box. Just I, all my friends all told me if, I was insane to have this many D4. <laughs> Who's laughing now? <laughs> if anybody that is listening to this has 32 D4s, take Let a picture. Let me get my fucking bag of caltrips. <laughs> <laughs> take a picture and send it to us. Let us know, please. I want to see this. <laughs> That's, so, that's some, like, Laura Bailey on Critical Role I don't stuff. even think Laura <laughs> Bailey would have 32 D4s. I mean, to be fair, I do have 8. Yeah, 8 is not 32. <laughs> so, with that being said, I do want to scroll back up while we're thinking on it for the Cove Dragon. Uh, with a contorted breathing, you can choose the radius of your acid breath's splash up to the maximum for your level. So... What that sounds like to me is a 30-foot range, make the splash radius 5, but you're still doing 32 D4 damage. I mean, it, it gives you a lot more control. Maybe not just outright killing your teammates? <laughs> eh? <laughs> no? Anyone? Or, just me? Okay. At, at the opposite, <laughs> at the opposite end, you get a larger radius at lower levels. No. Uh, you choose the radius really? up to your level. Oh, up to your level, okay. Yes. You can choose gotcha. the radius of your acid breath splash up to the maximum of your level. Well, never mind. <laughs> God, you don't listen. I don't. So, uh, <laughs> Flatland, uh, Voltaic Arc. You can connect yourself with the destination through a flash of light as an action, teleporting yourself up to 60 feet to an unoccupied space that you can see. Once you use this ability, you cannot use it until you finish a short or long rest. You have insulated scales, giving you resistance to lightning damage, and your lightning breath. Uh, your, breath is a <laughs> your breath weapon is a bolt of lightning that shocks enemies into dropping their weapons. As an action, you can exhale lightning, forming a line 30 feet long and 5 feet wide. Each creature in the line must make a dexterity saving throw equal to 8 plus your proficiency plus your constitution or dexterity your choice. 
The creature takes 2d10 lightning damage and drops whatever metal object it is holding objects it is holding on a failed save. On a successful save, it takes half damage and does not drop its held objects. Funnily so, enough, that <clears throat> flub that you had where you said your breath is a weapon, I'm pretty sure I've been told that. Carry on. <laughs> really got to slow down on the onions, buddy. Um, <laughs> the damage <laughs> and length increase based on your light on the lightning breath table below. You can use your breath weapon a number of times equal to your proficiency bonus, and you regain all expended uses when you finish long rest. So the interesting thing here, and I don't think I touched it with the acid one, is when it says that the saving throw is constitution or dexterity, your choice, that means you as a player get to pick what the save is. So keep that hmm, in mind. That, that guy looks pretty rogue-like. Constitution save. <laughs> hey, look. <laughs> it's, it's, there's, a, there's a kobold over there. Constitution. <laughs> so, uh, first level lightning breath, 30 foot range, 2d10 damage. At 5th level, it's 60 feet, 4d10 damage. 11th level is 90 feet with 8d10 damage. And at 17th level, it's 120 feet, 16d10 damage. Guys, I'm going to have to be right back. Gotta go to the... Gotta go uh, clean a mess. So if we, if we scroll back up to them, your lightning breath can change direction twice, but the creature can only be targeted twice. Once. Uh, once, sorry. It can only be targeted once. Huh. You got my hopes up, goddammit! Don't fucking do that! <laughs> I flowed, I'm sorry. I have to go back up to... Um, what was the first ability for the lightning dragons? Oh, um... Voltaic Arc? That is that is some Batman stuff right there. Like, big flashlight. Where do you? I'm behind you. <laughs> <laughs> I'm Dragon Man. Hang on. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so the next one up we have is the Glacier. Uh, tunneling horns. You have a burrowing speed of 15 feet. You also have icy scales, which gives you resistance to cold damage. And your cold breath is... This one's interesting. Um, I feel like this one may have the potential of really causing the DM some headaches. Your breath weapon is a roar of supercooled air that creates an ice wall. As an action, you can form a wall with two separate panels, each 10 feet on a side, within 30 feet of you. Each panel must be contiguous with another one, meaning it has to be touching. The wall is one inch thick and lasts for one minute. If the wall cuts through a creature's space when it appears, the creature within its area is pushed to one side of the wall and must make a constitution saving throw equal to 8 plus your proficiency plus your constitution or dexterity modifier, your choice. The creature takes 1d8 cold damage on a failed save or half as much damage on a successful one. The wall is an object that can be damaged and thus breached. Each 10-foot section has an AC of 12 and 5 hit points and is vulnerable to fire damage. The damage, range, size, and duration of the wall increase based on the cold breath table below. You can use your breath weapon an equal amount to your proficiency bonus, and it, everything comes back after a long rest. So, what that is saying with the, um, the, the modifier with the contorted breathing, the panels created by your ice breath do not need to be contiguous, which means that they, do not, they no longer need to be touching when they are created. So at first level, you can build these at 30 feet, 1d8 damage, and you can uh, build two. At fifth level, 
60 foot range, 2d8, 3 cubes. At 11th level, 90 feet, 4d8, and 4 cubes. At 17th level, 120 feet, 8d8 damage, and 5 cubes. I have a question, because I uh-huh. don't remember... Did it say did it say it had to be vertical? Um an ice wall? Generally speaking, a wall is vertical. I just what well, I'm just saying, like what if you're in a dungeon, you go up and there's a hole in the ground, and you're like, we need to block this off. Ice wall across the hole. That's not technically a wall. Me myself, I would have to rule there's that a as a no. Now, okay. if you want to be tricksy and you have a, uh, a sheep with you, I would say you can make the wall just 15 degrees a little. Er. Okay, so wait, no, 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 hold one second here. Hold one second. So you can make the wall, but it doesn't say the wall is a t- like held up by anything. So what's saying you can't just push the wall over? Huh? That is a great Great ice Good luck. So, wall. hold on. So we may have to do some really tricky math with that because it's 10 feet to a side, so it's 10 by 10. And it's one inch thick. So who out there that's listening to this or is in this call that knows how to do the math to weigh ice that's one inch thick, 10 feet by 10 feet? Figure that out for uh, me. Sure. Weight of ice. <laughs> Just a very generic Google search. Well, I mean, <laughs> ice is ice. I know. <laughs> 100 grams per, wait, one gram per milliliter. Uh... So what are the dimensions? 10 by 10 by 1. 10, 10 feet by 10 feet by 1 inch. 10 feet by 10 feet inch. That's 236 liters. 236 liters of water to grams. Well... That's... Now that's is that necessarily going to be the same? <laughs> that's two hundred. That's two hundred thirty-six kilograms. Yes, two hundred thirty-six. Uh, two hundred thirty-six kilograms of ice. What what's that to freedom units? Uh, two hundred thirty-six kilograms to pounds. Uh, five hundred twenty pounds. Jesus! <laughs> I move. I move that shit daily at work. Fuck it, I can take care. At of that. one five hundred pounds at one go, bitch. Oh. I lift fucking thousand pound pallets with a jack? a jack if I need to. No, you do not what? lift a thousand pounds. That is some horse shit. Lift is a strong word. <laughs> Rearrange is more accurate. Okay, whatever. <laughs> Moving on. You do have a, a push weight in your stats. That is something you can calculate with your strength score. Now, now that I do understand. What, I call, what I'm calling him on is his bullshit of real life lifting and pushing that shit without a jack. I won't, I won't, I won't comment on lifting without a jack. But no, that, that is actually a very feasible... I would say that's a very feasible option because you do have... Like the bovines and the, uh, the servines were the oh. elks, I believe, that had the, their push, carry, and lift, and all that counted as a large creature, which would more or less double what they're able to do. Yeah, I mean, not to mention, who's to say that not more than one person can be pushing it? That's True. also a good point. 
The problem that I'm also seeing here is that it's only an inch thick. That's going to be very fragile. And it's 10 feet on a side. You're not going to be able to just like suction cup your face to it and lift it that way. Like you're going to have to have multiple people and the chance of it actually staying together is not high with it being an inch thick. You would have to come up with a very, very compelling argument for why that would work. Or that it does have like a health value and an AC. True. So for its integrity, it's just suspension of disbelief. It's Dragon Ice, probably special. Yeah. See? You know, see? Fair see, enough. he's on my side. Fuck you. <laughs> <laughs> Ultimately, DMs are real cool, I guess. <laughs> uh, that I, everyone who's ever watched our sessions knows that I am the firmest believer in the rule of cool. If you can make it sound awesome, I'm gonna let that shit happen. I just want <laughs> to point out. Brick is has a push dragger lift weight of 540 pounds. See, Brick, you, you just made it with 20 pounds to spare, Megan. You can maybe push <laughs> back a taco or two. Uh, there you go. <laughs> <laughs> like <laughs> Alright, uh, so I think this might be the last one. This is the last one. Um, volcano. Uh, you get superheated tailwind. Your flying speed increases by 10 feet and you can hover. You have searing scales, which gives you resistance to fire damage. And of course, you have fire breath. Your breath weapon is a cone of fire that devastates a wider area than other breath weapons. As an action, you can exhale fire in a 15-foot cone. Each creature in the area must make a dexterity saving throw with a DC equal to 8 plus your proficiency, plus your constitution or dexterity. Again, your choice. The creature takes 3d6 fire damage on a failed save or half as much on a successful one. Like the others, the damage and range increase based on the fire breath table below. You can use your breath weapon a number of times equal to your proficiency bonus, and you regain all expended uses when you finish a long rest. Good God. At first level, Jesus fuck, 15 foot range, 3d6 damage. At fifth level... It's 30 feet, 66 damage. That's pretty strong. At 11th level, it's 60 foot range, 12d6 damage. Fuck. 17th level is 90 feet, 24d6 damage. Damn! My lord, <laughs> yes? Pass me the Tabasco sauce! <laughs> angry mob in front of me. Yes, my lord? I don't want to anymore. Yes, my lord. <laughs> <laughs> My lord, bring me my countryside razors. <laughs> but I mean, just think about that <clears throat> with the contorted breathing. You can exclude creatures of your choice from your fire breath. A 90-foot fucking cone! You just say, yeah, those guys, don't worry about those guys. <laughs> I just bend it around them, it's fine. <laughs> Jesus. After reading this whole section about dragons, I really just want to do a like 11th level battle royale between like all people playing dragons just to see all of this stuff in action <laughs> well we've been going for almost two and a half hours there is dragon magic but i think i'm gonna save that and cover it whenever we go over the spells in a later episode um there's not a whole lot of them but again this is probably the longest whiskey wednesdays we've ever had so i think now is about the time that's kind of good to uh take a pause on this yeah so uh thank you all so much for joining us thank you vile for popping in and calling us on our bullshit when the need arose um 
We will be back in the next two weeks to cover more of this uh, module. Again, it's called the Delver's Guide to Beast World. If you're not already in the Discord and you want to join and you want us, uh, you want to have a voice in what we go over next, pop in, look for the Whiskey Wednesday suggestion chat. I'm going to be putting up a poll probably tonight or tomorrow to figure out which section we're going to cover next. It'll either mm, be, yes. let's see, what, what, what did I have on there? Uh, Muppet movie, Muppet movie, nope, more Muppets. Scrolling up a little bit further. Uh, subclasses or magic items and spells. So if there's one of those that sounds even cooler to you and you want to see them first, pop in, let us know. Uh, anyone else got any closing things they want to talk about? I just want to shout out, I don't think you should have skipped the Muppet movie chapter. I think that's a really compelling part of the <laughs> Well, it's not that we've skipped it. We haven't gotten to that chapter yet. And I will be okay, talking right, to yeah. Cullen about why there's not a Muppet race in this book. You're saving the best for last. <laughs> 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 um, so uh, we do not have D&D this week. Um, Badly. The, the next... <laughs> The next session is still up in the air. We're not 100% sure if everyone's going to be around to play right before the Christmas holidays. I think we'll be okay. Um, but uh, keep an eye on Instagram. Keep an eye on the Discord. We'll let you know when we finally decide when we're going to be having our next session. Um, other than that, you guys got anything else you want to plug or talk about? Uh, in the Discord. Thank you, everyone, for watching. Welcome to any newcomers. Um, yeah. 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 All right. Good night, everybody. Bye. So long. Thank you for listening to the Whiskey Wednesdays podcast. You can watch the show live on Twitch every other Wednesday. If you'd like to recommend a topic for us to discuss, please join our Discord. The links can be found in the description, and we look forward to seeing you soon.